Well, hello. Uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and all that kind of stuff. It's uh, Thursday, the 29th of February. Yeah, these only come around once every four years. Uh, but this show comes around once every week. This is Paul English Live. Welcome to the show. tonight's show i'm going to be joined by george hobbs or i will be pretty soon if we can sort out a little echo problem that we just had there a few moments ago always fun and games at the start you know week which has seen certain people shuffling off this mortal coil we'll pay a nodding sort of nudge and a wink and all that kind of stuff to the wonderful world of international banking If you're in Rumble and you're on the chat, if you could just give me a quick yes that the sound's okay, it's always a bit helpful here as I look at a myriad of screens and try to keep my trousers up at the same time. everyone and welcome back we've had uh, uh, some good guests rolling through over the last few weeks and uh, George will be with us shortly I hope uh, he's currently on mute because we've got uh, we've got the dreaded wall of echo so uh, hopefully he's uh, he's fiddling with his adjustments there at the other end and I will bring him in slowly but surely as we go through uh, welcome back it's as I said it's the 29th of um it's the 29th of February, and this only occurs once every four years. Uh, anybody who's got a birthday this year, that's all of us, right? Uh, <coughs> no, some of us were born in a leap year. I'm one of them. And uh, I had a good friend, unfortunately, um, I think I was mentioning to you the other week that I, uh, I headed up north recently to, um, to go uh, to the funeral of an old school friend, and I discovered there that another friend had also shuffled off this model coil about a year ago. Had he been alive today, he would have been 16. Uh, he didn't even make 16. Good old lad. Of course, he was about 62 or 63, I think, when he passed off. But uh, he was the butt of many a joke for being very, very young when we were at school. He was only four when we were all 16. Um, but he sort of snuck in birthday celebrations every now and again. And uh, so that kind of worked. 
And uh, we look as though we might have resolved uh, George's uh, sound problems there. Uh, so, uh, without further ado, let's give this a try. My guest tonight is George Hobbs. He's the fact hunter. And George, are you with us? Are you on the show without the dreaded echo? No. Well, he's there. Uh, he's connected, but uh, we don't have any sound at the moment. So I'll I'll fiddle around with a few things. I've got a little clip, actually, to play. Um, I do. I, I do, actually. I've lined up a few clips for today. Uh, first of all, <clears throat> I think it might be worth... Actually, I want to hold off on this topic because I think I want George to come in and really talk about this a little bit later. Um, so just to let you know, George, if you can hear me, you are connected into the studio, but you're not producing any sound at all right now, which is... Uh, uh, Oh, let me just uh, let me just go and deal with this. Uh, there we go. I've just typed the word no. Uh, what do you think the question was? The question was, George said, can you hear me? And the answer is, unfortunately not, George. So, George, if you look at the little cog, um, if you can hear me, you should definitely be able to hear me on the system. If you look at that little cog, you need to set it to your microphone, the cog on the uh, right-hand side. If you click it, you'll get a drop-down, and you can select your device. So we just need a straight mic from you or something like that so that you can come in and uh, and talk, hopefully, uh, without sending back my voice to me all the time. Which, of course, everybody says, one does love the sound of one's own voice, but but not permanently for, for a couple of hours. So there we go. So it's funny because we did a test on this the other day, and it worked fine, So, but not today for some reason. So maybe if you know what your settings were, okay. I will. Okay, fantastic. So George is just going to go off and, and powder his nose and do a few things and try and sort things out. So uh, there's always something fun at the start, isn't there? Brilliant. Anyway, as I said, welcome to the show. It's um, <coughs> February the 29th. It's a leap year. Uh, it's a leap of faith, really, when we do these shows as well. So I think the the person that I would like to mention this week, of course, there's, there's many, but the one that's that's probably prominent or come around a little bit in your thinking as well, was supposedly, and I used that word intentionally, supposedly the shuffling off of this mortal coil, or should I say serpent coil, if I'm being unkindly, of uh, Jacob Rothschild, Lord Jacob Rothschild, the erstwhile, um, or recently deceased, according to newspaper reports, head of the Rothschild family, that international banking clan, um, that most people will be aware of to a greater or lesser degree. Um, and, uh, oh, sorry, I'm just getting slightly distracted with a few things, but that that's its usual. So, yeah, Lord Jacob Rothschild. And uh, any anybody who has done even a cursory glance into the history of banking will, of course, come across the Rothschild name. It comes, it comes in pretty quickly. And... Uh, I'm not here to go through the entire history of them as a family. Not that I've actually studied it. There actually is um, there's a book by Niall Ferguson, a currently living historian, who I think did an exhaustive review of the Rothschild family. Um, but if you've been exposed to the alternative information circuits, as I have over the last 20 years, courtesy of the internet, you've probably not got a particularly positive view of the influence of the Rothschilds in world affairs. Um, we've touched upon some of them here, actually, over the past couple of months. As some of you know, I've been talking about the French Revolution on and off, and I'm still going through the Nesta Webster book, albeit as fast as I can when I get a spare sort of 35 seconds or something. 
which is an astonishing book, um, even from the little glimpses that I've uh, I've read out. And um, uh, <coughs> the, uh, the they're not in that book at all, but the influence of international bankers based in the city of London, of which they were definitely a part at that time, um, features and looms large in the affairs of the French Revolution, also of the so-called English Civil War, also of the Russian Revolution, very, very big there. Uh, in fact, that's uh, courtesy of Rothschilds, and I think the main uh, the main sort of agent for that was uh, Kern Lub and Co., or Lerb, L-O-E-B. How do you pronounce that? Loeb. I'm just pronouncing it clumsily on purpose. Uh, the Rothschilds, in, in union with that bank, uh, supplied vast sums of money to enable a spontaneous, naturally uh, occurring revolution to take place. Of course, it was nothing of the sort, as was neither the French Revolution nor, I think we can say, was the US so-called civil war, the war between the states. And of course, we had uh, we had Ken Carter on here a few a few weeks ago talking about that. Um, and uh, so they have had a hand in all things. They were particularly prominent um, with regards to Napoleon. And um, we reviewed Napoleon. I had Maleficus Scott on here a few weeks ago. Actually, time's flying by, isn't it? But uh, Maleficus joined me a few weeks ago. Uh, we reviewed the, the Napoleon film. Maybe you caught the show. Maybe you've caught the film. And uh, the comment I made at the time that it was about two hours and 50 minutes, although I think by now uh, Ridley Scott has probably uh, released uh, maybe his long editor's or director's cut. There was rumour floating around that in January on Apple TV, whatever that is, right, um, he was going to release a four-hour cut or something like that. My comment at the time when we were going over the movie was that at two hours and 50 minutes it wasn't long enough. And in fact, probably at 25 hours it wouldn't be long enough. And there were huge things missing. There were subplots. It was basically all focusing on Napoleon, which I guess, you know, if you're going to cram a lot of things in into two hours and 50 minutes or try to, that's what you're going to do. Um, and certain parts of the film worked and a lot of it didn't. Um, I actually quite enjoyed it because I expected it to kind of be like that. So I wasn't disappointed. I didn't go in thinking we're going to get an exhaustive breakdown on his life. But really, it deserves one. And I think I made, I made that comment at the time. And uh, it's really in need of a sort of 25-part series, each one being two hours to go through it. Now, what would loom large in it, certainly if you had me as a script advisor, maybe you if you're knowledgeable about this, would be the funding, the generation of funds in England to fund the, the British, who were then funding Austria and anybody else they could to actually keep Napoleon at bay. Um, during this period, because effectively his entire reign as emperor was just one of warfare. This is from, uh, well, he rose to prominence in the late 1790s. He was made emperor, I think, 1802 or something. And of course, we all know he came to a rather sticky end, or however you want to talk about it, at Waterloo in 1815. Yet the Rothschilds family, the French Rothschilds, backed the French, and the British Rothschilds backed the British. And, you know, when you, if you're familiar with that, um, if you're familiar with that thing, oh, hang on just a minute. We've just got some action taking place here. Let me see if we can bring George in. George, are you with us properly this time? No. So I've got him in twice. I've got him in twice in the studio, and he's still not with us. So there we go. Hang on just a minute. 
Okay. And uh, New York, Paul, if you've joined us, we've got a little echo coming back from you there too. So I've got you muted. I'm having fun, everybody. George, are you there? You can't hear me? I can. You're in. You're in the show. Welcome to the show, George. (laughs) It's a Christmas miracle. I've got my laptop, my backup microphone. So, but we're, we're on the show. I hope it sounds okay. You sound great. Fantastic. It's great to forget all that stuff. I'll tell you what, every (laughs) single one of my shows, right, just about every single one, it just starts off with something going wrong. And I'm kind of sneakily glad it wasn't all down to me. Although it was really, because I'm responsible for getting the sound sorted out. So if you've caught any of them, you'll know that the opening three or four minutes of me running around with my trousers on fire going, now what is it that's not actually working today? And this, that, and the other. So anyway, look, welcome to the show. How are you? And uh, and are you now calmed down after your microphone challenge? Oh, yeah, I was perfectly calm. I wasn't upset whatsoever because we never have technical glitches in the radio business, do we? <laughs> uh, it reminded me of when you and I on random nights would be working on the next best, you know, audio thing on Speak Free and Clean Feed was obviously one that worked. But, you know, we're all at the mercy of technology. But it's great to be back on the radio with you. It's been way too long. And shout out to all the folks who are listening, whether it be on, I think it's WBN324, Speak Free Radio. Uh, it's just a pleasure to be here. You know what? You're very good at that. You're better than me. I get it in the neck, really. So just to let you know, I'm going to do that. I need to do a little sort of show announcement. So you're listening to Paul English Live here at paulenglishlive.com. We go out on WBN324. That's our main channel. We're here every Thursday from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. U.S. Eastern, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Uh, here in the U.K. Uh, my guest this week is George Hobbs. And George, the last time we did a show together was when I think I was on with you on your show probably about two years ago. Is that roundabout right? Yeah, it's about two years ago because I remember when we connected last week, it said last spoke with Paul one year ago, which was just mind-blowing to me. (laughs) You know, the older you get, the faster time goes. My dad always told me that when I was younger, but that's certainly the truth, isn't it? It is. It, It absolutely is. So we've got a lot of listeners here. I I sort of know you a bit, don't I? And we've we've had some great chats in the past, but obviously we've not spoken for two years, so we could we could catch up. We could talk about family matters and things like and things like that. But there's a lot of people here listening who who don't know you, and I think it would be useful for you to give a little rundown about who you are, what it's like, hunting facts, what you're up to, what you actually do. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, cool. And again, thanks for having me. And uh, my name's George Hobbs. I currently reside in a little town uh, west of Dover, Delaware. Um, but my journey uh, to here and the truth has taken many long and winding paths. Uh, grew up a normal blue collar life. Uh, my family was very patriotic, military. So, it, you know, for my family, it wasn't a matter if. Uh, if you were going to serve, but when you were going to serve. And two weeks after my 18th birthday, I wound up in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, ended up doing 24 years in the military. But as time went on, um, I ended up, I was in Desert Storm with my father, four tours of Iraq, and you, you start to see things that don't add up. And as I got older, as you know, there were certain things that didn't make sense. And to be completely honest with you, I maybe I put blinders on. Uh, because I didn't want to look into it, which is the case for a lot of people today. You know, we we stand on a podium and, and scream for people to wake up. But I think all of us at one point in our lives were that person where we didn't really want 
to know the truth. But when I retired in 2015 year, uh, in 2015, which is hard to believe, it's been almost good grief, almost 10 years now. Mm -hmm. um, I immediately put the blinders away and I started doing some research into some things I noticed. Uh, specifically, when I became a senior non-commissioned officer, I was in the contract business. I did a, a lot of contracting um, in Iraq and I saw these, the, these contracts that came across my desk and I was like, this doesn't make any sense, uh, you know, $2 million for a porta potty contract and all these different things. But my first big real red pill moment was uh, two of them, I guess. Um, I had a flag officer many years ago while I was still on active duty kind of give me the inside scoop on the Bush family, um, which was one of the first podcasts I ever did five years ago, going back to uh, Prescott Bush, um, you know, obviously, yep. you know, one of the most evil people in the world, George H.W. Bush and all that. But 9-11 um, was one of the biggest kick in the, you, you know, we'll call it the stomach that I ever had. Because when you invest so much of your time and effort into something and then you see much of it is based on a lie, it, it's a reality check. And there's two things you can do at that point. You can you can mope and be angry or, or you can make sure that your children and grandchildren um, don't go through the same thing. And that's kind of the basis of the fact hunter and what we've been doing for the last five years. And, um, you know, our journey has changed, our views on things changed, but at the same time, it's all about the truth, no matter how bitter it tastes. Yeah. So you were, you were in the military up until when, what was that year in 2015? Have I got that right? Or 2015? Yeah. Okay. So your, let's call it curiosity. Your curiosity about the management of the earth as it were and the management of your nation and all these things was that was that a part of your makeup during those latter years whilst you were still in the military was that going on with you or was it something that sort of hit you when you actually retired from the military you mean kind of like what were the red flags that caused me yeah. to think maybe there's something up that's right you know, I, I, one thing I saw was it didn't matter if it was a Democrat or a Republican in charge, they were all bound on war. And one book, if, if you guys have not read uh, Smedley Butler, uh, Smedley Butler, excuse me, war is a racket. And he's spot on. War is a racket. And it's been used as a multi-tool, right, um, for, for so many reasons, for population control, to mm -hmm. control the population, for money for power, um, and of course, to bring about this one world government that has really been going on back to biblical times with Nimrod. That's really the first time, you know, with the Tower of Babel when they wanted a one world government, and that has not stopped to this very day. Here we are in 2024. Yes. Yeah, I think I think I was listening to your show from the other day. You might have mentioned Smedley Butler in that. I've read that book. I mean, just to clue anybody in who was not familiar with him, he was a highly decorated officer. I don't know what his rank was. And he was active in the military, what, in the 1910s and the 1920s, around about that period. Is that right? Yeah, way back in the day. And then I yeah. guess he was part of the... Uh the, the, the unsubstantiated conspiracy to overthrow the White House in the 30s. Yeah, he was. He was, he was it wasn't he approached. He was approached to do that. And he turned it down, did he not? He Right, I think it was called the business plot in 33, which is also another big year in our country, 33. With uh, That's when we basically became a welfare state with, you know, the New Deal and all that stuff. That's when Mr. Roosevelt nicked everyone's gold. That's right. Basically. Uh -huh. He bought yes, your sir. gold up for a song, 
and it was a bad song yep. at that. Yeah, uh, but it was, all, it was for the common good. Everybody, it's going to be better. You really do need us to buy all your gold. I can't remember what he offered for it. It didn't really matter, did it? Because it was probably, you know, Smedley Butler's book is relatively brief, isn't it? And he's he's effectively talking about what you were just you were just covering. But of course, it coming from him and him being so high up, it's it has a great deal of weight. I've not read it in years, actually. I must have read it about ten years ago. I not I need to dig it up and go through it again. George, that was his first name, wasn't it? George Smedley Butler? Uh Smedley Darlington Butler. Oh, all right, okay. Smedley's his first name. That's a good name. Yeah. So he's yeah, no, it's a cracking bit of work. And so you you were looking at that was part of it, but I, I so I suppose you've got these rumblings going on in your head during maybe the last X number of years whilst you're in the military, and then when you get out, you've you've suddenly got free reign or a lot more time to really sort of dive into it a little bit more deeply and really start running yeah, around sure. in there. Yeah. Yeah, I started yeah. my own business um, just a, two months after I got out. Uh, I had a store in a mall in Central Texas. We were selling medical supplies. Right. And uh, when you're in a mall, you have to adhere to mall hours. So we were open from 10 a.m. to 9 p.m. I was a new business. I didn't have a lot of money to to pay people to work for me. So I was in there. And if we didn't have customers, I was going down all of these rabbit holes. But, um, you know, something that bothered me a lot going back to things that you think about while you're in Iraq is very quickly you know i I remember going across the berm uh, you know towards the end of march of 2003 from kuwait into iraq and very quickly it was realized that there were no weapons of mass destruction and then a a couple of weeks later we're told that we're going to be there for a year Um, and of course it's always to win the hearts and minds and to bring democracy of course Um, and and this is from a guy who my whole life uh, was always you know uh, god you know god fearing conservative right Mm-hmm. And um, I, I hold those morals. If you if you have to put something into a a left or a right, right? I believe in uh, absolute freedom of speech. But I also believe that our rights come from God, not some guy who got elected or some guy who has a uniform with a badge. Um, if you want to give us privileges that we all can agree on, that, that's perfectly fine. But uh, I, I think that even goes back to the revolutionary times where. Uh, a bunch of these Freemasons, and this is just a recent observation, maybe a bunch of Freemasons hijacked our government to make us believe that, hey, we're going to solve all our problems, these 13 little colonies, we're going to gang together, make one great group, and we'll settle the disputes between you all. And, and that's like they handed us our Bill of Rights, which to this day in 2024, when I hear somebody on social media or the news cite something from our Constitution, it's, it's not a, a worthwhile document anymore. Uh, because it takes two parties to adhere to an agreement and the government hasn't agreed to this in in years in decades in a century maybe so it's time uh, to to walk away from it just just to wash our hands and obviously it's not a simple solution that's the email i get all the time is uh, well what do we do well you know we've got 20 million people who work for the government they get their paycheck from the government uh, we get millions of people on social security like myself retirement and most people aren't going to bite the hand that feeds them so yeah um you know we we expend a lot of oxygen um talking about these things but the the big question is, is where do we go from here and, and that is the, uh, the the big question and a lot of me recently you know is just i don't have faith in man anymore so i've put my faith in god and uh, i realized that the problems that we have in this world a lot of them aren't going to be able to be settled so um it's a 
Go ahead. You're going to say something. No, I I I, I, comp- I I follow your line exactly. It's very similar. I think, you know, we, I'm probably no different to anybody else. Grew up not with a belief in government, but basically that it was going to be okay. And yep. of course, this is hilarious now in retrospect, looking at it. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it just is. <laughs> but we all had a period where we were clueless. I mean, I I consider myself less clueless now. That's all I can really say. I still get. I have to stop and go, do I really know that this news report is true? The answer is I don't. Do I really trust this news source? Not at all now. I mean, in the past, uh, if you take, say, um, you know, the guys that would, over here, this is the voice of the BBC, right? The, The whole thing was a projection of authority and reassured and it's wonderful actually i'm not against it um the only virtue you could really look on in the past with regards to say the bbc was that most of the people that were newscasters at the time had trained as journalists and reporters there was in fact more than a nod there was a sense that they were going to ask awkward questions and they did from time to time, of those people that supposedly were in power, the ones that are put out front, the political actor class, which is really what they are. Um, So there was at least a sense that there might have been some wholesome discourse from time to time. What we've obviously descended into now is that we have people behind microphones or whatever on desks on television stations and elsewhere, sort of the mainstream radio stations, the mainstream media, who are really actors. I mean, they're there to create an emotive response and to keep everybody perfectly bamboozled to a degree that's even worse than it was in the past. I mean, uh, there's a very sophisticated processing taking place all the time to keep everybody off balance because they've mastered obviously, a lot of these communication techniques in the past. I I made a comment here before that, you know, it's very easy for us, and, and therefore we will do this. It's very easy for all of us to sort of look back at periods of history like World War One or World War Two, and I do this all the time, and you go, you know, my first reaction was, how could they not have possibly known? You know? You go, well, the reason they couldn't have possibly known is all they had was newspapers and the radio, and they were controlled by the same small collective that's controlling sure. it today. You know, 100%. so that's really it, isn't it? And I guess, you know, what you do with your shows, your regular shows, which we'll get onto in due course, but what you do with your shows, what many people are doing, rightly and goodly, in my view, is asking questions, questions that hitherto have not been asked before, and trying to find out how far we can go in the questioning, which, of course, over here is not as far as you can over there. <laughs> we are told, of course, that, oh, you live in Britain, it's the home of democracy, you see, and you've got free speech. Really? Can I talk about this? Oh, no, we don't really want you to talk about that. Could I mention this? Well, we'd prefer... No, 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 don't, don't bring that up. It's awkward, <laughs> right? So, and it's, it's sort of like um, control through manners, through custom. People have become accustomed, I include myself, all of us get accustomed to a certain sort of range in the communication space. And you go, look, we're free, we're discussing things. But someone like you or I might walk into a meeting like that and go, have you ever looked at this? And you introduce a topic that hitherto the audience didn't even know existed. This is the sort of, and this is the period we've been going through most of this century, ever since 9-11. That was the first big bang wake-up call for a huge number of people. Um, Wasn't it? It was absolutely enormous for people. Uh, We'd just moved to the house that I live in, still, I can't believe I've been here this long. We'd only been in this house about two months. 
down on the south coast and that event happened because uh, we had a television uh, we still do I suppose don't watch it too much but there it was all on and the full impact of it didn't really strike me as the event was happening it was only in the sort of following three or four months um, but it galvanized so many people to start putting well fingers to keyboards I was going to say pen to paper but fingers to keyboards and begin to talk about this and of course you then find out just as you were talking about with regards to Smedley Butler that this pattern of events is actually nothing new and it is ancient and it goes back millennia in terms of the way that people are controlled absolutely if you want a couple good rabbit holes to go down just look at fear-based mind control the government knows that if they put an event out there so spectacular that people will turn to the government um, for their security and Ben Franklin supposedly is the one who said you know if you're willing to give up your, your, your liberty for a little bit of security, you deserve neither. And that's exactly what most people did with 9-11. And mm -hmm. that's what most people did with COVID. Um, you know, please shut down our business if it's going to save our lives. And people closed their churches. Um, and, and God bless the heroes who didn't, like uh, the pastor uh, in, I think, Calgary, Alberta. Oh, yes. Um, who, he got just, it in the neck for that. Are, yeah, didn't he? He got a lot of, and I lot of pressure. those people. Absolutely. And people, the people who didn't fold, uh, I'll salute to the day I die because, you know, I will tell you this, though, I get a couple hundred emails a week. And, and the common theme with these emails are uh, COVID woke them up like COVID, like for every one 9-11 woke me up, I probably get 20 COVID woke me up because they overplayed their hand because they said if you didn't get the vaccine, you were going to die. November 2021, they told you, Biden said it's going to be a, a winter of death. Here we are. And, and they overplayed their hand and that woke more people up, like I said, 20-fold uh, the 9-11. But the, the folks that didn't wake up, they were okay with the Patriot Act. Uh, they were okay with the churches being shut down with, you know, that, yeah. that's the people that we really need to get to at this point. You're absolutely right. I mean, you know, it's, the, it's their ability to control the communications process. You had this event, I don't know if I mentioned it last week, but I've thought about it since because it's just a very small but very important example of it. I'm not a supporter of any politicians on any side of the pond because the whole... Yeah space is wrecked intentionally it's yes, massive theater and if you don't know that when you buy a ticket to go in and believe it's to be it's true you're in a lot of trouble psychologically and spiritually you're going to get in a real mess but there was this situation was there in new york a couple of weeks ago where the lawyer who was defending trump in this nonsense thing that's taking place in new york although you could use the word nonsense before everything that we're kind of talking about it's sure. not it's not exclusive just to that but she came out to the to the microphone and talked about the restrictions that had been placed upon her such that she wasn't allowed to present evidence in his defense now it just strikes me, and this is where we need to discover some new sort of structures for communication or where actions in regard to this, um, that obviously where they were and the proceedings that w was not a court, it was not whatever it were, was that they were in, and whatever the communication processes were that were, were being undertaken there, it certainly wasn't a court. If, if the accused cannot marshal a defence, is denied that, then what is that? That's a bit like the um, you know the big trials in Russia. 
the uh, all the under Stalin, the uh, the purges, all this kind of stuff. You know, you can't yeah. speak. We're not even going to allow you to talk. But you've got to be present here so that we can send out some kind of theatrical image that a trial has taken place, whereas in fact one hasn't. I'm not trying to defend Trump. I don't, you know, I won't trust him as far as I could throw him, and I'm not going to get a chance to throw him anywhere. But that's <laughs> that, not yet, not that I, I know of. But but that's part of it. We over here, um, uh, the English and the Scots, the Welsh and the people of Ireland and Northern Ireland. Many of us know that we have no say in the outcome of our lives. We don't have a say. We do within our own immediate space, but with regards to so-called national affairs, we are denied a true voice. We don't have one, um, and particularly for the English. I mean, I'm not getting if you're if you're not English and you cross with me, we can be. But the Scots have got. We don't even have an English Parliament. There is no representation for the actual English. And when you look at the way that the communication process is manhandled, which it is, it never produces real communication ever. No, there's no genuine communication. I mean, I'm sure that in your research, you must have looked back on orators and some of their speeches and gone, I wouldn't mind being at that meeting because obviously this man was speaking the truth. And I'd like to be in a situation like that. But today, there are never any moments like that. It's all a sort of artificial nonsense space in which no communication ever takes place. And, and that is, you know, we talk about uh, the internet being a double-edged sword, which gave everyone a voice, which is great. But at the same time, now you have everybody speaking and not as many people listening, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, I'm not trying to discourage anyone from, you know, building a platform. You know, that's not the case at all. But I think at some point our voices do get lost. And, and personally, getting back to, like you said, with uh, representation, I've called my senators uh, ad nauseum hundreds of times, never heard back from them. When I email my governor, I'll get an automated email back. Thank you for your concern about the state of Delaware. But they really don't care. They all have an agenda, and we are not on the agenda, that's for sure. And for people who doubt that there's already not a world, you know, one world order in place ready to go, why is it that just about every single country was in lockstep? And I hate using that word because that's like a World Economic Forum term. But uh, literally every country, I interviewed a young lady a couple of weeks ago from, I think, Latvia. Mm-hmm. And it was the same story, same story. Six feet, masks, curfew at 8 p.m. Um, you could get a 2,000 euro fine if, if you weren't off the streets. Just, you know, the world became... Um, just so you know what use insert term here and and the thing that really upsets me is once again here's another event whether it's jfk um 9-11 covid another event where not one person will be held accountable for their crimes yes we have no recourse to a court of actual justice i mean i we i know the word freedom is banded around all over the place and i'm not against freedom but i just don't think it's actually really what we're after i think this is just my take on it um, because I don't know quite how to describe freedom fully, because it's the sort of thing that's never-ending. Well, I'm free up to this point, but I now want to be a bit more free to do this, you know. <laughs> what I'm personally into is the idea of justice. And I'm into law because, like you were saying with regards to God, you as you study the affairs of men through history, many of the things and events that they've said, oh, this is in line with the law, is not. It's not. It's just in line with whatever convention they were able to muster up at the time 
to extend their control and privilege because they're driven in that way. They're abusing a system which requires good hearts in it for it to work. And so there's a lot of rotten-hearted people that have been able to take advantage of it. Um, This is nothing new. We're not the first sort of generation to have to endure this. But, of course, the scale of it now is of a wholly different order. I mean, it's global, or should I say flat-earthist. I don't mind mind what shape it is, right? (laughs) But uh, it's it's everywhere. You know, it's in all of So this coordinated, concerted effort has become clear to many of us that are looking at it, such as yourself and many of the listeners here. People are keen to get to the bottom of this, but yet we're still faced with the, well, what do we do to sort it out then type of response, which is a really valid response. Yeah, what do we do? And I think, you know, I, I tend to think that one of the most important things that we are doing here is defining the word we. The we that I'm interested in is the people that ask questions and are looking for ways to work with other questioning people to get this thing put right. And it, uh, and yet we are, of course, all of us avoiding, uh, I include myself, the, the nature of the conflict because we're in a conflict. There's no, there's no two ways to describe it other than, you know, it's a type of warfare that's being waged upon us because, just as we were addressing here, you and I and the people that we know have no recourse to a communication space that is going to work. There isn't one. They've got the courts are hijacked into oblivion, and we have to sort of almost like rebuild our own court system, and that's going to take quite a bit because most people are simply not used to thinking like that. That's the main issue, and I don't even blame them. You know, we've all gone down the tram lines of a certain type of thinking for a long time, and it gets very difficult to break it. Uh, because, you know, there are aspects of our civilization that have worked very well, and yet there have always been problems with it. Now it's swung very much in, in the other favor, unfortunately. Yeah, really well said. And justice and accountability kind of go hand in hand, but in order for us to get these things, I think we have to flip the power structure. The, the, the power structure should be like a pyramid. Most, you know, accountability locally, and there should be very little government at the top very little government at the top um you can't you can't make changes when all the power is untouchable and like here in the states they they put a cherry on top on january 6th nobody will ever go to washington dc again to protest because they're afraid just like all the other grandmas and a gentleman i've interviewed from prison several times master sergeant jeremy brown who was a green beret and if they can throw him in jail they'll, they'll certainly throw everyone in jail um so you know when did that happen? <clears throat> oh, geez. Uh, March of uh, two, um, 21, right. two months, I guess, after he was down there. He never stepped foot in. He was just like all the other people who got, you know, all, all part up in the Trump mania. And um, he, <laughs> so it, it's a long story. But to make a long story short, they um, actually approached him. The FBI did December 6th of uh, 2020, so about a month before January 6th actually happened, and they asked him to be an informant, and he said no, and he had this captured on his Ring video. You can go to his uh, website. I think it's jeremybrown.org. Right. And he said no. He went down there. He never stepped inside, and uh, they showed up to his house, and they said, oh, look, we found two hand grenades in your camper, because, you know, everybody goes to... I've got some grenades. There's a grenades are us right down the street. I mean, it's easy access to get a hand grenade. Um, yeah. it, it's just absolutely, um, 
Well, every English house is full of grenades, George, didn't you know? <laughs> it's just livid. And I talk to his wife all the time, and I talk to him from jail, and it, it's just what, what this country has become. Or, you know what? I, that's not even the right thing to say, because it's been this way for a long time. Uh, let's just say, you know, since the scales have fallen away from my eyes, and many mm -hmm. people's eyes, um, it, it's it's really abhorrent to see someone who just, obviously, you know, ape, from an apolitical standpoint um there's no way joe biden got 81 million votes if you believe that then i got a bridge to sell you oh i don't Louis. know about that george surely they wouldn't <laughs> lie about such a thing would they i know I it's mean, ridiculous didn't he receive more votes than anybody's ever received ever uh, <laughs> a, a, a he just got so many because obviously yeah. people were responding to his competence and uh, you know his tremendous leadership qualities they just went this is the guy for us I mean, he's a beautiful the, orator, too. Have you ever heard him speak? I, I've cried a few times listening to him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd like to hear him speak, but it's very difficult when he's actually trying to talk through mouthfuls of ice cream. You know, it's difficult to make a... <laughs> it's all right, just sit down there, get on with your lolly or something. It's absolutely... Yeah, it's it's quite, it's quite a trial, isn't it, that whole thing? I... Uh, I mean, we're, we live in the shadow of that as well, even though not many of us talk about it, because that happened, then COVID happened, and COVID kind of overwhelmed us in terms of, this is the whole thing, you know, is to just completely keep our attention massively hammered, as it were, with another bomb of drama that's going to come through. And it works. They know exactly what they're doing to keep us sort of on the back foot with all of these sorts of things. But we're sure. living in this situation where we... We're kind of semi-hypnotized. It requires a permanent fight from everybody every day to stop dropping into it. There's a thing I've talked about here before. You're, you may well be familiar with it. It's a psychological process called revelation of the method. Michael Hoffman wrote a great piece on it many years ago about how a criminal will announce that he's going to rob the bank the next day and does. He gets caught, but he denies any knowledge of it. And the following day, two or three days later, you find out that he's a teller in the same bank that he robbed a few days earlier. It's an illustrative story to show that how we get confused. And, of course, what you've just mentioned here about the voting is, and that's why I was saying I don't hear many people talking about it, including me, he didn't get those votes. He's no. completely fraudulent as a, as a president. He's not yeah. genuine, yet everybody, the bluff keeps going on and on and on. The theatre production will not stop. They can't stop it because you've got to be kept hypnotised permanently by this situation. I mean, the, the fact that the mainstream media over here, no doubt, obviously in your neck of the woods, report on what he says and does as if it's got some relevance or that he's a competent <laughs> human being, that's part of the that's part of the conditioning that we're undergoing. Oh, no, we're, he's great. Look, Joe Biden said this. What? What did he say? Where's my ice cream? I mean, you know, it, it's uh, it's very damaging. I mean, I'm making light of it, but it's actually very powerful because it's like soft psychological conditioning. And I keep thinking that the soft thing that they do is devastatingly effective because we all get comfortable and relax and our guard drops again and then they stick a knife in yet again with something else that's coming down the you know they go well if you if you accepted they know that it's a, a lie they know that we know it's a lie but what they're saying is well if you accept that lie you're going to accept this one and you're going oh well, i don't know what to do <laughs> you know we're going to drop some more lies in um yeah 
You know, uh, uh, as you do know, because I obviously mentioned it to you, when when we uh, bring victims on here, no, I didn't mean that. When, <laughs> when, <laughs> when I get a guest down. on here, yeah, well, it, this is a thing that's just spontaneously happened. I quite like this. In fact, really, I think I just want to do this bit more than anything else. We ask you to select a couple of songs, and I thought we're 45 minutes in, so we're going to do it. So George did offer up a couple of songs. I'm going to play one of them, and uh, then we'll be back after this one. You can explain this particular song, although I I listened to a bit of this earlier today, and I, I quite like this. Here we go. In the paper and the TV news Somebody's army is always on the move There's gonna be a battle The lines have been drawn They got guns and tanks and planes The wells are gone dry And the water is bad And the air is acid rain War after war and rumors of war from the east There's a rumbling in the ground and they're talking about the beast Good mothers cry cause the rivers run high with the blood of too many sons Some people say peace is on the way but the worst is still to come Cause the prophets wrote about it and Jesus spoke about it And John got to take a look And he told us what he saw and it's easy to see It's going by the book It's going by the book cities and the missiles stand ready for flight A pale horse rides like the wind across the night And that rumbling in the desert like thunder getting closer Are the trumpets getting ready to blow There's gonna be a shout that will leave the dead We'd better be ready to go The prophets wrote about it And Jesus spoke about it And John got to take a look And he told us what he saw And it's easy to see It's going by the book It's going by the book
Attention all listeners, are you seeking uninterrupted access to WBN 324 Talk Radio despite incoming censorship hurdles? Well, it's a breeze. Just grab and download Opera Browser, then type in WBN324.ZIL. And stay tuned for unfiltered discussions around the clock. That's WBN324.ZIL. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on the World Broadcasting Network are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of its owners partners and other hosts or this network. Thank you for listening to WBN 324 Talk Radio. Hi and uh, welcome back. I'm here with George Hobbs. You're listening to Paul English Live at paulenglishlive.com here on WBN 324. And uh, as I said, I'm here with George. And we're, well, George, uh, I don't know about your opinions being uh, uh, not necessarily agreeable. I tend to agree with all your opinions at the moment. So this is really rather good, I think. Yeah, it's been a great conversation. Pretty good song. Johnny Cash, uh, one of the biggest, obviously, singer-songwriters uh, from America. Yeah. Um, uh, and that, that, you know, that song obviously uh, resonates pretty much with what's going on uh, with the world today. And he talks about a Pale Horse, which one of my favorite books, Behold a Pale Horse from Bill Cooper. Yeah. And just saying, uh, you know, it, what, what's happening is biblical and you better be ready. It is. I'm completely with you. Of course, I would also, there's a quote from Henry Ford about the Bible, which I like too. He said, uh, the problem with the Bible, I'm paraphrasing from memory, says the problem is that Christians tend to read their Bible wrong. They read it through (coughs) Jewish spectacles, I think is what he said, and therefore they get it backwards. And he's absolutely spot on. And I've talked about Ford and the Dearborn Independent. And of course, it's awkward to talk about these things in a certain way. But I I like that a lot. I like that a lot. That must have been something he did towards the end of his career then, Johnny Cash, because it's very modern sort of production. Is that, you know, towards the close of his career when he was still alive? Yeah, I think that's early 90s. Obviously, like his Ghost Riders and stuff like that was probably 70s. So this was definitely on the, uh, the sunset of his career, but still a very good song. It's great. Yeah, fantastic. I like that. It's it's good. I mean, I never I never dislike anything that people pick because I'm not allowed to. Do you see what I mean? But secret afterwards. We've had we've had some <laughs> so much pressure to pick a song. It's Did you? Did you feel yeah, it? You don't oh, want to go with great. anything too cliché. <laughs> you don't want to go with anything too cliché like Stairway to Heaven or Pink Floyd. Um you don't want to play too long of a song cuz you want to have conversation. Um but uh you know, it's great to have a song that kind of fits the, the current state of things that goes along with the conversation. Yes. No, it's great. I like that a lot. It's good. And then, the, uh, as I said, I don't know if you know, we, we've we had a, I don't know if it's still going, actually. There's been a radio show in, the, in Britain for a long time called Desert Island Discs. It's a wonderful format for a show because it produces all these sorts of conversations that go off at tangents. But um, it used to be, hosted by a guy called Roy Plumley. I think that was his name, and he was very Plumley. He had very plummy tones. He was very British. <laughs> and uh, he would invite people on from showbiz, politicians, and the, the premise for the show is you're on a desert island and you're allowed to take ten records with you, I think it was, or five or something like that. And so they would have to, you know, they'd be given plenty of time. They probably went through a nerve-wracking process as well. What do I pick, you know? And then he would say, well, why did yeah. you pick that? You know, it's not that it's a dreadful tune, but I just want to know what 
the background to it all is. But no, I, I, I like that one. That's good. So I think I, if we could do it, I'd probably fill the whole two hours. We could get you to pick 10 records. But the pressure would be too immense and people people would not turn up. So uh, I just think what it's going to be like when you come back in a few months' time. Uh, it's going to be terrible. You won't know what to pick then. It's going to be very, very awkward. So. <laughs> I actually had some runners up. And I, by the way, I have had listeners mention to me about the Desert Island Discs. I'm familiar with that. And what a great... Uh, program that would be because uh, like for me I used to listen to music but as you get older you really listen to understand and maybe you pay more attention to lyrics than you even research yes like my favorite song probably growing up and you know every day you ask me I might give you a different answer but when the levee breaks by Led Zeppelin was always a very popular song and I love that song and then you found out it was written by 1929 by a guy named Kansas Joe in Memphis Minnie Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, Zeppelin turns out to be this big cover band and, uh, either way, I, I really enjoy music and history and I appreciate you putting it in the format, uh, that it's in, you, you mentioned when you play them, I think it's in 432. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to mention that too, as well. So shout out as usual to our in-house resident remixing genius, Paul B. Thanks again, Paul. I just love these things over to him and he kindly gets on and does it. So yeah, that was as, as people here who listen to the show regularly, these things are remixed and go out at 432 Hertz, not the original 440 Hertz. And I do find this stuff fascinating, all this thing about frequencies and uh, because you know, we—if you had a radio station that just broadcast any old thing at four thirty-two, as far as I understand it, the mere quality of the frequency is a healing agent. It actually assists people to come more fully into consciousness. I know it's a grand claim, but everything in the universe, as far as I'm aware, is is vibrating. Every single thing, from a rock, very very slow, you know, to uh, those high notes sung by those uh, opera gals, um, it's all frequencies, and you're going to get some right and some not so right. And the idea that they adjusted this in the late 1930s at this conference, of which I believe uh, Rockefeller had an agent or was even present there, to readjust uh, certain notes. So you're going, well, why did they do that? Well, it's to create a disturbed audio space. I mean, I, I just, I had to go out and buy some, <coughs> what did I buy today? I, I went out and bought a little clutch of paninis, these Italian bread things, which about the only bread I eat. And uh, I, I go into a couple of shops here locally, and they're playing drone music all the time. This guff that's just, oh. it's just unbelievable. And I will always say to the, I say, are they paying you danger money? I'll say to the cashier, they go, what, what? I said, well, you have to sit and listen to this, puke this audio vomit all day long. And of course they think, what's this guy on about? I'm going, this is repulsive stuff. It's nonsense, right? It's really putting me off. I would have bought more jam if you didn't have it on, but I'm only buying one jam, but I would have bought a lot more. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to sort of reverse it, right? Turn it off. Although tragically, sure. I think they've found out in studies that if they put this sort of blah, you know, elevator music playing throughout supermarkets, apparently people buy more. I can only assume they just get hypnotized into buying more junk. I mean, you know, I've got a cynical view about these things, George. But what can you, what can you say? And uh, no, it's, yeah, uh, didn't Rockefeller come up with that right about the same time as uh, Tesla uh, put out his theory of the three six nine? So mm-hmm. four forty four plus four is eight, uh, and four you know four thirty two is uh, four plus three is seven plus two is nine. So that fits the three six nine. That's probably why it's uh, more positive in reception and healing versus 440, which goes against the Tesla's 369 theory. Yes. No, great, great point. Yeah. 
That's that's really good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tesla said that's the whole thing, isn't it? The whole base of the universe. Everything is frequency. 369, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, obviously the frequency that we're in right now, courtesy of the sort of tales and things that are coming out the orifices of these would-be rulers of the Earth, it's a very low, miserable <laughs> sort of frequency that they're putting out all the time, isn't it? So... Yeah. Um, you mentioned also, I don't know whether just before the break or after, you talked about, oh, no, it was after, wasn't it? About Behold a Pale Horse uh, by William Cooper. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the very first book that I ever bought. I actually got it when it came out. So I think the publication date I've got on mine is about 91, 92, or 93. And I had a copy. Spot on, 91, yep. Yep. And I've still got it on the shelf here, kicking around, or I've stacked up somewhere in the loft. Um, it's an amazing book, and William Cooper really was an amazing guy. Absolutely, phenomenally courageous, I he think. Was. And uh, I think my attention was drawn to him because he'd witnessed some massive UFO or something coming out of the water when he was in the Navy, and that's what kicked him into into it. But that document that's in there, um, that supposedly you never know about these apocryphal tales, was found in a photocopier, the Silent Weapons for Silent Wars. That that thing. You remember that document? Yeah, that's another great book. Very short, but it, it's it's a very interesting read. That was the first thing I read that kind of chilled me. That I sensed yeah. that there was some kind of um, cold intellectual animal on the earth that I was sharing with that had literally no regard for the welfare of other human beings. There's a complete absence of empathy or kindness or love or concern running through that document from start to finish. It's just like a sort of dead procedural manual for actually subjugating people in all sorts of ways. And and really, we are enduring all these things right now, are we not? You know, courtesy of all these different weapons that are arranged against us. Yeah, and let me ask you this: Do we have to? Do you break at the top of the hour, or do you keep going? No, no, I, I'm completely useless at that sort of thing. Um, no one's told me to do okay, that. Okay, just so, making sure. Yeah, no, no, no. Don't worry, it's fine. Uh, what, no, no, what, it's okay. I just throw them in when I feel it, when the conversation's right. So we, we can just go mad here, George. We can just talk. Or we, we go silent for a bit if you like. Although it's generally not too engaging for the audience if we do that. But yeah, yeah. excellent. Um, but my question, you know, people always say when you discuss these things, whether it be nine eleven. Uh, you know, Pearl Harbor, false flag, um, all these things, COVID, you could go on at Waco, 9-11, Oklahoma City. Um, People say nobody could do that. And uh, you try to explain to people, these people don't have that switch that we do. They, so my question to you is, is it, what, what makes these people tick, whether their name is Bush or Obama or, or, or Clinton or a King or a Queen? What, what is the difference? Is it a blood difference? Is it a upbringing difference where they are brought up in a differently, different, completely, you know, environment um, uh, that is subject from any type of empathy to human beings? Because, you know, I'm convinced that on September 11, 2001, George H.W.N.W. Bush went to sleep and got a great night's sleep. So what is the difference between them and us? Is it simply psychological or do you think it's something deeper than that? I think it's probably something that we're not all fully familiar with. And I sort of, I'm going to say, thankfully, I don't want to be familiar with whatever it is that's going on in their head and lack of heart space. I mean, that's that's my perception of it. I think all the factors that you just went through, I think they're all at play. I mean, if they come from a long line of rulers, then you're going to have sort of Uh, imbued behavioral characteristics down through the line and we know 
certainly, you know, courtesy of work like Fritz Springmeier's thing about the families and all this kind of these bloodlines. Uh, he's not the only mm-hmm. one, but it's a it's a good book. Is that that they work it's diligently great. to keep things within the family or within these families that they have always done this sort of thing. And so then they're sent off to these schools. I mean, Gordonstone is one here uh, in Scotland where all the royal family have, have been trained. And I, I, I kind of think, well, obviously I would never get an invite to a school like that. <laughs> Daddy couldn't afford it, right? <laughs> that kind right. of stuff. <laughs> but I wouldn't mind being sort of like um, in there to see if they're actually getting a different type of education. I can only assume that they are. I can only assume that they're getting a totally different because the orientation is look, you chaps, and wherever you're from, you're going to be in charge of things, are we? Well, yeah, because your dad was, and your, or your mum was, and, and your great grandfather was, and we're going to keep that going because you know, if from their perspective as well, I sometimes try to put myself in their shoes. I mean, it's a ridiculous sort of thing. I've never met any of these people personally, uh, and what would you say to them if you did? Look, will you just knock it off? <laughs> will you just stop right. all this nonsense? I mean, oh yeah, sorry, Paul. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, what? Don't you like it? No, we don't like what you do. <laughs> It's really bad. You keep doing these. So we're never going to get an audience with them. And even if we were, we would be just dealt with in a condescending fashion, you know. From their perspective, I guess, I've often thought that they're thinking, well, look, there's power to be acquired in human affairs, and we're going to have it. That's it. I I, I tend to think that that's their goal. Um, I mean, often people will attribute, you know, all of these things down to greed and more money, but it can't be that because they own the entire monetary system. I mean, you know, you. I was just mentioning earlier on, uh, during the fun part, the start of the show, <laughs> that, uh, you know, recently recently we've had supposedly the shuffling off of this serpent coil, sorry, this mortal coil of um, uh, Jacob Rothschild, who, of course, has immediately been replaced by his son. I think that's Nathan or Nathaniel Rothschild. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, you know, I'm suspicious of it because he was only 87, which 87. sounds bizarre. They live yeah. to be well over 100 usually. At I least mean, if, if if Tubby Kissinger can make 100, right, you, <laughs> uh, seriously. And I'm a bit cross as well, George, because I had them both down on my guest to invite onto the show list, you know. But I can't uh. because it's, it's t- shocking, isn't it? Great, you went That's and died on me. I wanted to have you on. I thought we could have a chat. No, you had to go and... But it's difficult to accept fully. I mean, I've seen the stories and I've relayed them as well and looked at it and there have been some videos have come out almost immediately about it within a matter of two days. Really quite polished things, 45 minutes long. And I, I'm going, who's putting these things together so quick? I'm not saying that they were containing false information. I just... There's something... I believe, my my view as well is, that the alternative information space is riddled with agents from the other side continually. It's a a massive sort of, you know, snakes and ladders game that we're involved with. You've got to have, we've got to develop a new kind of internal antenna and sensitivity for all of these things. Because, you know, I know this sounds a little negative, but many of the pieces of information that are being put out by so-called alternative information sources may well be true. They may well be dark. They may well fall within the doom porn scenario. And therefore, you go, well, at least this is the truthful stuff. And I'm going, yeah. However, people are still not acting to correct their plight. It doesn't help you to just wade through piles and piles of miserable, hideous information 
you know, how much more of it do you need to know is a question I keep asking myself. Do I need to read another book? Do I need to know all this kind of stuff, you know? Yammer, yammer, yammer. Well, I think sometimes you do. You have to sort of pick and choose. But yep. um, I spent so many years plowing through everything I could that I've forgotten most of what I've read. And, I've, and I'm going, well, you know, is this a process of I can remember it all and therefore I know more than everybody else and therefore you've all got to listen to me? No, because it's a, it's a matter of using this knowledge, it seems to me, to say this is an action plan that we need. And a key part of it, you've touched upon it here earlier, to me and to you from what you've said, is we have to return to the laws of God. Uh, it's not even an option. We, we absolutely have to because what we're in the middle of is enduring the laws of men and we are enduring them badly. And they're not good because they're men, aren't they? And you and I know what men are like. They're crap, most of them, <laughs> most of the That's time. That's right. You know, and they're not you, good. They're not up to it. That, they're just not up no, to it. not at all. And, and like you said, going through all that research, well, went through phases. When we first woke up, whatever time, uh, whether it was last week or, or 10 years ago, where you, you consume information and it really draws you in. But the, the common theme, there's two two common themes, I should say. Number one is at the bottom of every rabbit hole is Satan. And number two is in order to get to the top of the food chain, you have to be corrupted. So, you know, yep. that, that is a, a big deal. You got to understand that, well, what, am I going to keep on researching all this stuff just to know that, you know, the, the head of this corporation, um, whether it's um, Monsanto or Disney, like you talked about, the, the 13 bloodlines of the Illuminati, which... Uh, Fritz Springmeier wrote so eloquently, and if mm -hmm. you can find his uh, on YouTube, he he gave a speech on the Prophecy Club probably in the early '90s, um, a two and a half hour speech explaining it. Really good presentation, um, but but that's what it's really all about is understanding that to, to get to the top. Uh, if they're at the top and they they're they're not a good guy, um, but the world stage is like the wrestling, like professional wrestling. You have your good guys. Uh, your your Trump, your um, uh, yeah, uh, your Trump, your yeah, uh, uh, what's the Trump. journalist who, who just yeah, who just interviewed Putin? Um, what's his name? Uh, oh yeah, Carlson, Tucker Carlson. Yeah, yeah, Tucker Carlson. You, mm. you, you have your good guys and Alex Jones, all your good guys. And then you have your bad guys. Your your uh, you know the Clintons, the Obamas, Boo. on and on and on. <laughs> exactly, and that's what everybody puts their energy into. You want to be a patriot. Um, you know, make sure in November you vote harder than you did in 2020, and that'll yeah. fix everything. And it's vote just harder. People, but <laughs> yeah, that's that's what they say. Come out with that, and it's just your energy is being diverted in the wrong direction because politics are not going to fix this mess. No, they're not. Uh, loath though I am to quote him, if it is a tribute to him, because he was a plagiarist. Uh, because of his working at the patent office. Albert Einstein, is it is it not he who said, you can't solve a problem with the same type of thinking that created it? And of course, right. you know, and it's very good. Although, you know, I'm I'm still questioning whether he really s said that because, he, you know, he was stealing all his stuff from the Swiss patent office sure. when he worked there. And most of his work on stuff he, he stole from Niels Bohr, I think. You know, but I've not got a good view of him, let's put it that way. They keep wheeling him out as this thing. But you mentioned Tucker Carlson. And guess what? I didn't know whether it would come up, but I've got a clip here. It slightly takes us away, but it's recent. I want to play this. It's about three minutes long. This is really cool. interesting because this is about... I'm going to say it's about beauty in the world. Here we go. Listen to this. I try to see world events through the lens of an American because I am one. And what does this mean for us? And 
It's not even the war. It's the sanctions that will forever change the United States, our standard of living, the way our government operates. That, more than any single thing in my lifetime, screwed the United States. Levying those sanctions in the way that we did was crazy. And that was, that for me, the main takeaway from my eight days in Moscow was not Putin. He's a leader with whatever. They're, none of them are that different, actually, in my pretty extensive experience. No, it was Moscow. That blew my mind. I was not prepared for that at all. And I thought I knew a lot about Moscow. My dad worked there on and off in the 80s and 90s because he's a U.S. government employee. And he was always coming back to Moscow. It's a nightmare and all this stuff. No electricity. I got there almost exactly two years after sanctions, mm -hmm. totally cut off from Western financial systems, kicked out of SWIFT, can't use U.S. dollars, no banking, no credit cards. And that city, it, just factually, it's, I'm not endorsing the system. I'm not endorsing the whole country. I didn't go to Lake Bacall. You know, I didn't go to Turkmenistan. I just went to Moscow, largest city in Europe, 13 million people. I drove all around it. And that city is way nicer, outwardly anyway. I don't live there than any city we have by a lot. And by nicer, let me be specific. No graffiti, no homeless, no people using drugs in the street, totally tidy, no garbage on the ground, and n no forest of steel and concrete soul-destroying buildings, none of the postmodern architecture that oppresses us without, without even our knowledge, none of that crap. It's a truly beautiful city. And that's not an endorsement of Putin, and by the way, it didn't make me love Putin. It made me hate my own leaders because I grew up in a country that had cities kind of like that, that were nice cities, that were safe. And I, we don't have that anymore. And how did that happen? Did Putin do that? I don't think Putin did that, actually. I think the people in charge of that, the mayors, the governors, the president, they did that. And they should be held accountable for it. So I think cleanliness and architectural design is not the entirety of the metrics that matter when you measure a city. They're the main metrics that matter. They're the main metrics that matter. The main metrics that matter are cleanliness, safety, and beauty, in my opinion. And one of the big lies that we are told in our world is that, no, something you can't measure that has no actual effect on your life matters most. Bullshit. What matters most, to say it again, beauty, safety, cleanliness. Lots of other things matter, too. A whole bunch of things matter. But if I were to put them in order, it's not some like theoretical, well, actually, I don't know if you know that the Duma has no power. Like, okay, I get that. Freedom of speech matters enormously to me. They have less freedom of speech in Russia than we do in the United States. We are superior to them in that way. But you can't tell me that living in a city where, you know, your six-year-old daughter can walk to the bus stop and ride on a clean bus or ride in a beautiful subway car that's on time and not get assaulted that doesn't matter no that matters almost more than anything actually and we can have both and like the normal regime defenders and morons john stewart or whatever he's calling himself they're like well that's the price of freedom like people shitting on the sidewalk is the price of freedom it's like you can't fool me because i've lived here for 54 years i know that it's not the price of freedom because i lived in a country that was both free and clean and orderly what a great clip what do you think george yeah, I heard the he was on, I think, Glenn Beck. I was doing some driving, and that exact kind of conversation came up. And 
Uh, I think the one interesting thing, when he noted his father was a U.S. government employee, he didn't mention that he was CIA, which is <laughs> I know. The, the, Don't the worry, I'm not in reason. love with him or anything. It's just, you know, it's a bit <laughs> no, like no, a broken no, clock. Every now and again, these guys yeah. say correct things. No, he just said a lot of correct things. But, yeah, he did. And that's, uh, you know, credit where credit is due, whether it's scripted or not to be on the right. But it, it's 100% correct. Uh, um, listen, I'm old enough to remember that in, in the 70s, going to Philadelphia or Baltimore, at New York City, that the, the cities were not terrible and people weren't shitting in the streets and people weren't um, doing heroin on the streets and, and the homelessness. I will tell you that um, I drove out to my buddies. Uh, he retired uh, a couple of years ago and driving back. We love to drive. We'll fly when necessary, but we, we love driving, even if it's a day or two drive. Um we were coming back through Washington, D.C., and they had an entire tent city of homeless people in our nation's capital. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that is something that you don't see in like Hungary, which is one of the last countries that's kind of resisting this kind of woke Marxist era that everybody's welcoming with open arms. And Russia, I, I follow folks on YouTube who have migrated to Russia. A couple of guys are English, an Australian guy, and they're living there and they're happy and the streets are clean. And uh, they also live by the book. They're gone by the book. And that's why you have to have a foundation uh, if you're going to build a house, right? If your foundation is jacked up, no matter how good your carpentry or roofing skills are, your house is going to be jacked up. In our country, here in the United States, we have no moral foundation. Um, we That went out the window, who knows how long ago, um, because we, we base our morals on man's law. I'm not, I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but that, that's where it all lies. When, when you don't have any moral compass and, and you're just throwing things out and waiting to see what sticks to the wall this is the result turn on the news that that is the result uh, never-ending wars um 34.3 trillion dollars in debt um i i forget the the city of baltimore is maybe 45 minutes from me and the illiterate rate is 28 percent for people who graduate high school and and think about this just stop and think about this for a second these children spend 13 years in school 13 mm -hmm. years in a building and they can't read um so what's the so purpose they, they, of it obviously the purpose exactly. of it is to ensure that they can't read because that's my my, my my point exactly. And yeah. most of my podcasts, if, if for people who've listened to my podcast, they know that one of my top three beefs is we need to destroy the current education system. And I think it's torture. I remember being seven or eight years old and sitting in a school chair for eight hours a day. When you're young and you should be outside, they should be teaching these children how to grow, how, you know, how to live. These mm -hmm. kids have no idea where their food comes from. Um, we homeschool. When when COVID started, we yanked our daughter out of school, and we've been homeschooling her for the last three years. We have we have chickens, we have a greenhouse, we have a couple acres, yep. and she's learned more in the last three years than most children learn in their lives. They know where their eggs come from. We do meat chickens, and these are things that people need to learn. Uh, I'm trying to remember how many times I've needed trigonometry since I've, uh, you know, left high school. <laughs> it's just a, a worthless. And like you said, it is meant to destroy critical thinking. 
um, guessing in a, like they teach you how to test, right? On multiple choice, um, if you're not sure, answer C. How does that create a critical thinker? They want, like Rockefeller said, I don't want a nation of thinkers. I want a nation of workers. So they dumb them down. And it's it's just another thing that, that needs to be changed if we're ever going to move forward. Yeah, absolutely spot on. Your, your, your family situation there sounds absolutely marvelous. I mean, I've got two sons, but we're out of that early phase. And I've mentioned here before, the best thing I ever did for them uh, yes, they went to school because I didn't need any ruckus, but I was the deprogramming sure. agent at the end of their day. We would talk all the time. And um, at the whilst they were going to school, the best thing that we ever did for them, we, we made them – well, we didn't make them. We, we were keen about – we joined a tennis club as a family nice. down here. And without a doubt, it was the best thing I did for them. And they know it too to this day because they were having to intermingle – this is when they were aged seven, eight, nine, ten. That kind of age is when we started. Too late, currently. You know, you've got to start when you're five in tennis if you're going to be Novak Djokovic. Oh, yeah. Of course, you, you, <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, they're young enough, and they were. All, we went down the club. They said, oh, they're a bit late, aren't they? I'm going. Oh my god, <laughs> what have we got to do? They've got to have a proper life. But they ended up playing. You, you know, the club format in the UK, uh, many tennis clubs, is doubles, and so uh, they ended up playing against older people who couldn't move that well but knew how to play the game who were in their 60s and 70s right and they're playing with six and seven year olds and there's all ages in between and they're having to communicate on a little team that was the best thing ever because they lost any kind of awkwardness around people from different age groups that just disappeared their communication skills improved they're in the presence of adult communication which they need to be I don't mean filthy by that. I don't mean sort of the way it's used today. I mean, you know, grown-ups talking about mature things that they wouldn't hear at school. Yep. So it's very – I just noticed a change in the way that they operate. And also, we put them into competitions where they got beaten a lot because all the players get beaten a lot. This is the thing about tennis. There's only one guy wins after two weeks in these big tournaments. Everybody else is a loser, right? <laughs> And the guys that lose in the quarterfinals and the semifinals, it's even worse for them because they're so <laughs> near to it, right? So we had a lot of emotional moments. Uh, it was a challenge for me, too. I'm going, don't lose your rag, as my, one of my sons is losing his rag, you know. So we tried to go through all that kind of stuff. But it was great. It was really, really constructive. And I remember one of them coming back one day, he said, um, Dad, they're, they're trying to teach us about Islam. I said, oh, really? <laughs> I said, what are they telling you? So he went through it. I said, well, that's, that's quite comical. I said, I won't pay too much attention to it. I said, but try and find out how all these mosques are designed. I said, because uh, as far as I know, most of them in the UK are also, many of them are doubling up as weapons dumps, which they are, right? So, I mean, I'm, I'm moving into a heavier thing. I didn't go into that with them. But this is, you know, part of the, it's obvious, you know, all the things we've touched upon in this short period so far we're talking about a situation where this entity called the government is our enemy, not as a figure of speech, but it literally is. And uh, I saw the newspaper. I had, I, I had to go and buy these paninis today, right? So I look at the news. Like, I don't buy newspapers. I just sort of scan to see what sort of nonsense they've got on. So there's a gentleman over here called um, Mr. Sunak. Uh, a lot of people apparently think he's the prime minister of, of this country, but uh, if you talk to me, he isn't, right? And that's because he was just parachuted into the position. No one voted for him. But the, the headline was, we've got to act to stop mob rule. 
or we will lose our democracy. Literally, that was what the headline was. And I'm going, and I'm going yeah, don't you, you're the mob, mate. It's you. You're the mob, the parliamentary mob. So maybe he's saying we need to shut ourselves down and go, well, first intelligent thing I've heard out of the Houses of Parliament for 500 years or something. <laughs> you know, so they're always talking about that, you know, whenever they say we, they're not, it's not about the benefits to us. They mean them and their club. You know, they they speak, obviously, in these oscillating languages, this sort of parallel meaning and hidden meaning and all sure. this kind of stuff, you know. So, but um, no, I mean, your, your situation with chickens and everything, it's, it's bang on. I mean, it seems to me that the best action any parents can take if they and they'll need a support structure around them, like their parents, i.e., the grandparents of the children, need to support mm-hmm. this as well, is to not yeah. go to a thing called a school at all. It's not needed. No. It's completely not required because not it's just all. producing aberrated little people who are going to grow up wonky, and I'm afraid we're surrounded by them, you know? And that's that attributes to many of the mental health issues that these children are having today because the, the, the schools are telling the children, if you're a boy and you feel like you're a girl, that's okay. I just did a podcast a, a week ago. Mm-hmm. This family from Indiana lost custody of their son because they wouldn't address him uh, with the proper pronouns. And they literally came, the, the state came and took the child away because it was child abuse. And this is going to be the norm once again, if people don't stand up to it. Yeah. I mean, the state obviously taking the child away is child abuse. This is the thing that Dickens wrote about, you know? Yeah. You know, these poor orphans being seized for their own good, you know, and being whipped or beaten or put in the poorhouse, the workhouse. It's out out of order. I mean, this is one of the great things about Dickens as a great Christian writer, which he was, is that he's basically showing you the underbelly of the the great British Empire. That it was like, you know, the sordid stuff in Dickens is what it was really like for the vast majority of people over here. I think when Benjamin Franklin came over, of course, that's a lot earlier, but maybe that's early 1800s. I don't know when he died or late 1700s. He went to Manchester and he was just appalled by what he saw. I would have been, you know, but you, we don't get that. We don't get the nitty gritty of what was really going on. You know, women and children being sent down mines as well as the men. Women and children being sent down mines. I mean, it's just out of order. But that reveals to you very much what, you know, their attitude is. And going back to that point you mentioned a little while ago about their training and why they view us the way that they do, when you start to see history from this perspective, it's grim, it's disturbing, but it actually starts to make a lot more sense. You suddenly go, ah, now there's a coherence to the narrative. I can see this pattern repeating over and over and over again. And in every generation, they bullshit the population with some mythical story, which is completely not their direct experience, but they buy into it. Oh, the empire will go off and die for that. Really? Well, bye. You know, but unfortunately, peer group pressure and custom has, has made this happen over and over again, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Uh, and, and at some point, the buck has to stop. Otherwise, it's going, like I said, this is going to affect our children and our grandchildren, going back to something you had mentioned about the adult conversation, I think COVID really crossed the line where, um, and this upsets me too, when mom and dad are in watching the TV, um, hearing all this fear porn about, you know, there's going to be millions of people dying in the pictures of the USS Comfort rolling up to uh, to New York City and, you know, the news showing the pictures um, of, of the people just dropping dead 
uh, in Wuhan and the whole narrative, mm. you've, you've got to be very, very cognizant of what is going in your child's mind because that um, really, really messed up a lot of children um, between that uh, and again, going back to the education system and, and another thing we're fighting here in the States, even here in the state where I live in Delaware, um, now it is legal for these children to start getting these puberty blockers as early as age 10. And they're allowed to get this gender mutilation uh, as early as 12. Uh, and, and they don't, here's the thing, they don't even hide their evil anymore. We always talk about how they boil the frog generation after generation after generation. And, the, and they keep pulling the wool over our eyes. They don't care anymore. It's gotten to the point where it's all mockery. Just going back to, like you said, Biden walking, it's obvious he has, he's, he, he's not aware of anything. And it's, it's really abusive. We laugh about it. But when you sit back and think about it, 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 it's horrible what they're doing to this guy. He has no idea what's going on. And, and this guy was our senator for 50 years. He, parasite to, to go. He, this guy has been a parasite to taxpayers for 50 years um and now he's no idea where he's out they wheel him out and they they don't care what we think anymore because they know there's nothing we can do about it so uh you know when our little white house press secretary stands out there and and proudly boasts what a great cognizant president we have and just the other day he ran a marathon and he's smarter i love it when the reporters say he's smarter than me and i just like yeah. stop mocking me please <laughs> Dear me. I don't know. You don't know whether to laugh or cry, both, I suppose, at the same time. I mean, yeah, you got to pinch you, yourself and ask yourself, is this real? You do. You do. I think you, you, have, to, you have to laugh um, because it's good for your own health. You'll go mad yeah. if you don't. Yeah, I mean, it, we are in very sick times. But I, I find yeah. if I'm earnestly serious all the time, I start to get slightly dysfunctional. I, I begin to lose a sense of what is even important at all. Because you, if you really work at it, you can see evil everywhere 24-7 if you really want to. You've got access to it now, so you can really dive in there. But you have to ask the question, is this actually doing me or anybody else any good? Is this actually solving the problem, me just absorbing yeah. all this this filth, which is basically what it is? I mean, I think... You know, on a positive, although it's coming through slowly but with ever-increasing speed, is this thing that you've touched upon and brought in here as well, this returning to God, which I think about, you know, and I know it's a big conversation. Some people go, no, 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 you know, and all this kind of stuff. And you get the scientists banging on about it. They bang on about the Big Bang and all this other boring stuff. I mean, they can, yep. they can, they can explain how a thing works. Great. But they can't tell you why existence exists. And I go, you know, they say, no, science can answer everything. No, it can't. I mean, my definition of science, I'm not against it, of course, because we live amongst the benefits of a lot of logical thinking with regards to chemistry and electronics and manufacturing. Yes, it's all there. But science is a, is a, a pursuit to me that seems, wants to be less wrong tomorrow than it was today. Because every single theory, that if you look at them, they all go, oh, well, we found something else. We've just found another uh, molecule in an atom that we weren't aware of. Well, how many more are you going to find? I'm not trying to make them wrong. It's just, it's a process that they feel that they can, well, we know so much more about all these things, so we need to be in charge. Ah, no, big mistake. You, you, you don't need to be in charge. This is really, really bad. And that's where they've got to, you know. Yeah. Um, they, they have a specialised education, do they not? They've got high IQs, I assume. 
I've been told that they do. I get the impression that they do. Um, they've been brought up in a world where their problems are very, very different to the sorts of problems that most normal people face, like how am I going to pay the bills, which is the main one universally across the West and has been for decades. You know, uh, They don't have that. So th they've acquired other interests, as it were, and the main one, of course, is uh, controlling everybody else, it seems to me, because, Absolutely. you know... That's what they want to do. And maybe if you and I had been born into one of these dreadful bloodlines, we'd have been exactly the same. You know, it's a scary thought. And you think, well, there, but for the grace of God, go I. Uh, but then maybe these are people who have been brought down here to demonstrate just what happens to you if you turn your back on God. Because that's what I tend to think of them, um, which is... Yeah, that's a... Sorry, it's just, just such a great point because scientism really, once again... Uh, I, I, I'm sorry to keep beating a dead horse, but COVID, scientism really took over. Um, if you wanted to be saved, you had to roll up your sleeve and get a job, no questions asked. And, yeah. and all the people who stood up and, and protested it, they were vilified. And people lost their license. My wife lost her job because they refused to take the jab. Uh, and science is becoming a religion. So if you're a Bible-believing Christian... Um, then you believe the, the flood in Genesis 6 actually happened. It's not just some fairy tale. But if you go to school or you go to Google and put in the Genesis flood, it will tell you in the first two sentences of, of the Wikipedia page that uh, the Genesis flood narrative, they'll use the word narrative, is a Hebrew flood myth. And uh, for instance, you Google how old is Earth, it'll tell you it's something like 14 or 15 billion years old. Mm -hmm. You know what book I was reading yesterday? I was reading Martin Luther's Commentary on Genesis. Right. Um, and one of the very first sentences he says is, um, I just grabbed it over here, but he basically says, we know that Moses said um, that we know the earth, um, here it is, from Moses, however, we know that 6,000 years ago, the world did not exist. Uh, this book was written in 1540. So uh, according to Martin Luther, who apparently is not as, as smart as Bill Nye the science guy, um, the earth is only 6,500 years old. So mm -hmm. uh, again, if you're a Bible believer and you send your child to Sunday school and they're told things like this, and then you send them off to school and they say, no, no, Johnny, uh, the Big Bang is what created the earth. There's no God. And you got here because a fish uh, hopped up onto the beach and he died, but his brother, he hopped up and he made it. And then he evolved into a monkey and then the monkey evolved into you. And, and uh, even heliocentrism, uh, you know, that we're hurtling through space at 66,000 miles an hour, all these things uh, are put in place to, to believe, to, to hide God. That's mm -hmm. what all these things are. And I think uh, we live in a world where the people at the top of the food chain, do they, are they really in it for money? If they print the money, do they need the money? No. Or, or, or are they really just doing Satan's work and trying to, to, people, to get people to hide from God? Get, or hide God from people, excuse me. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, there's a lot in what you've said. And there'll be people out there chomping at the bit going, no, it's Billy, and all these things. I understand all that kind of stuff. And sure, I think sure. some of Everybody's those discussions, yeah, within the right context can be very constructive. Sure. I really do. I think um, the thing, if you, th I mean, the word myth is interesting because people will say, well, it means it doesn't exist. No, that's not true. Myths exist. All people, all races, all cultures have a founding myth. Um, we've all got one. You're an American, right? So your founding myth is based on 1776 and all these other things, right? And uh, the war between the states. There are certain key pivotal massive events that took place in the formation of 
your nation and brought it to the point that it's at right now, which of course is not very satisfactory to anybody much. I'm in exactly the same position. I've got ones with regards to major pivotal points throughout history. And of course, when we examine them, we find that they tend to, that the main thing that we were given tends to start to fall apart pretty quickly. You know, you go, Ooh, I didn't see this. And this is an account written by the other side. And ooh, that contradicts an awful lot of, I need to, I need to give this a bit of thought. And yet we need one. You need a story about who you are to bind into. I mean, one of the things that's happening here, no doubt in your neck of the woods as well, is the idea that the English don't really exist. You know, we've been told apparently that everybody here in Asia, it was always a multiracial society. No, it wasn't. And um, even (laughs) even if they were able to prove that, it wouldn't matter because... That's not how we think about things. And, of course, the next accusation that comes along is, oh, you're at odds with everybody else on the earth. Uh, Far from it. Uh, We're actually in agreement, I am anyway, with the order of nature. Nature is the handmaiden of God. And is it not the case that if we get in line with that, we will see an awful lot of these unnecessary, bogus sorts of dramas begin to disappear? Because the real racists on the earth are the ones that are pulling, pushing other races into my home. I'm not against these people right. per se, but it's it's like a real estate problem. Location, location, location. It's got no, no one went around in 1500 and odd going, I don't know if there are any other people in the world, but if there are, I hate them. <laughs> it's just insane, right? <laughs> Nobody even <laughs> thinks right. like that. But you build up your own story. You build up your own culture in your own house, in your own street, in your village, in your town. I come from a nation that's been doing that for a couple of thousand years, or maybe a thousand ever since the bloody Normans turned up and ruined everything, you know, which is a massive event, really, still. There's still a ripple of that all the way through uh, our history over this past sort of nearly thousand years now. But everybody's got one. They've all got their founding myths, their big events that moulded them as a people and moved them in whatever direction. Some people say, well, it's very bad. I guess if we look at the history of Europe, it's it's littered with an awful lot of warfare. There's no two ways about it. I'm not saying sure, that, that didn't happen. Course, yeah. It just is. But there are agitators at play. There, are, There's an Iago in the mix, always, agitating this stuff. And there sure. are also And then who writes pe- history? The yes, absolutely. You know, And we've had a lot of asinine leaders who get carried away. They do. You know, They become perverted kings. They get things wrong. They do things out of whack. They do things for personal power and don't obey the law that they purport to uphold. They don't do it. They go, I can get away with this. And they begin to do the getting away with it. And that lays in a lot of the seeds of corruption that then manifest later on, you know. So, Absolutely. Yeah. And here we yes. are. I think it's time for song number two. What do you think? And I don't, I'm bracing myself. Yeah, on this let's one. do it. Yeah, but let's do it. So I'm here with George Hobbs. You listen to Paul English Live. And this is, uh, you can talk about this song afterwards. Let me press the right button. Here it is.
Attention all listeners, are you seeking uninterrupted access to WBN 324 Talk Radio despite incoming censorship hurdles? Well, it's a breeze. Just grab and download Opera Browser, then type in WBN324.ZIL. And stay tuned for unfiltered discussions around the clock. That's WBN324.ZIL. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on the World Broadcasting Network are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of its owners partners and other hosts or this network. Thank you for listening to WBN 324 Talk Radio. Yeah, welcome back to the last uh, 20 minutes or so of the show. I'm here with George Hobbs. George, that was an interesting choice. I've never heard that before in my life. In fact, I'm very unfamiliar with that really? band. I mean, yeah, I, I know of them, but I've I, uh, they were yeah, not sure. a band that I ever listened to. How about that? So why, why that one? <laughs> well, it, yeah, and again, you know, not necessarily my favorite song, but um, Phil Lynott, he he's the lead singer for the band, obviously, who is Thin Lizzy, um, yeah. very proud of their Irish heritage, uh, etc. But, uh, you know, the, he was a poet first uh, and a musician second, and uh, he obviously had a lot of turmoil. Could you imagine being 18, 19 years old 
and, and having all that money and women thrown at you at such a young age. Um, oh, that happens I, to I all of us over here, George. Yeah, that happened to me. Um, <laughs> oh, no, hang on just a minute. Sure. <laughs> yeah. You know, w- we envy these people, but, you know, I think of what a dumbass I was when I was 19 or 20, and imagine that thrown at me. And, you know, he died young, of course, as well as many of these guys did. And I think, you know, they say there's no atheist in prison or, or the foxhole. And I think he kind of knew that he was in a bad way. And I think that was really his plea asking for for help. And that's, right. you know, the plea of a, a desperate man. And that really what was uh, Mr. Lineup was in his final years. Um it's a good song, and it's uh, I like the the lyrics he did, and it's it's a very passionate song. Not just there's some really lazy singers bands out there who will just write whatever rhymes, but I think that song was really from his art, and he was saying I need help, and uh, you know that's something that uh, especially as men that that can be difficult to do sometimes. Yeah. You're right. I mean, it was a gentler song. I am familiar with some of their other stuff. Obviously, a lot of my mates were playing that kind of stuff in the mid to late 70s. Sure, the boys are back in town, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing that they're known for. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, that well, that was their big sort of hit at the time. I mean, it's in, yeah. the, the music thing keeps coming back into my sort of thoughts often because I, we've mentioned it here repeatedly. I, I suppose I'll keep on talking about this because it's always, it remains a point, but... The changes to the music industry, of course, have removed a lot of talented people out of the space. Yeah. I, I, I seriously believe that. I mean, I see it. I, you can still find it in certain pockets all over the place. You've really got to look hard, though. It's not like it used to be. And um, it's not that pop music was always great. I don't think it was. I still think it's a bit like what's, what's Sturgeon's Law? 90% of everything is crap. Theodore Sturgeon, the science fiction writer, yeah. uh, and it's uh, yeah. it's not it's pretty true. You know, we're, we're always attracted to the cream, uh, rightly so, because we admire talent. Sure. And the simple truth of the matter is that in any generation, there's always a handful of people, generally, who who, given the right chances, will show themselves to be exceptional. And it's great. It's wonderful. Everybody else is a bit cheesed off that it's not them. I understand that. And it doesn't mean to say that they don't make a good contribution. But there are some people that just, for whatever reason, they just sort of stand out. And, um, you know, and then you go off and pick your own stuff in your own particular genres or whatever you like and this, that and the other. But uh, the role of radio is something we were talking about. There was this... um, communications act that clinton passed in your neck of the woods and it basically opened up as a free for all and they they just bought all these stations up these two major maybe three major organizations sacked all the playlist managers and suddenly everything on every radio station so i'm told obviously i don't drive around the states but started to sound like all the other ones what's the point of that you know and it's this I mean, I would say part of the drive of this is that people, a lot of people's religion has become the making of profit. Um, You know, they go to these temples called banks or stock exchanges or whatever, and they get involved in all this kind of stuff. And they end up doing things that are not adding wealth. They're just adding monetary digits into a bank account. But life is not better because of what they're doing. It's worse, you know. (laughs) They're chewing up the good things all the time. Here... Here in the States, just a couple of weeks ago, there was news, uh, old George Soros, uh, he purchased our, the United States' second largest chain of radio stations. So, you know, Voice of America 3.0 is about to be launched upon the American people. And and music is really a double-edged sword. When I started going down those rabbit holes uh, with George uh, Morrison, who was... Um, 
what's his name? Um, Jim Morrison's dad, right? This guy yep. was actually the admiral of the ship that was involved in the Gulf of Tonkin. And that family was rewarded with the riches of the doors. And uh, of course, weird scenes uh, from Dave McGowan. That book really opened my eyes, how the CIA really controlled the 60s in the hippie era. Great book. Yep. And of course, we know about Tavistock and the English music. But at the same time, you know, there really is something special about music and when you hear a song it can literally take you back to like the summer of 1983 you know yeah it's amazing it is amazing i've been going through i go through phases you were talking uh you mentioned earlier about not listening to music so much or listening more to the lyrics and i've gone through the same thing i i you know it was wall-to-wall -wall music as a teenager in the 70s because that's all we had sure. it sounds awful and we didn't go yeah. around going oh we don't we need some more stuff it was fantastic it was absolutely brilliant because yeah. i think it did coincide i mean there was a lot of rubbish produced but the stuff that was good was outstanding you could tell there was some really amazing stuff because the artists were allowed a lot more free reign to develop things in the way that they wanted there was a wonderful documentary on here a couple of years ago that i saw about the history of the lp the long playing record the album and how mm -hmm. it came about and how it changed music so there's a technology you know they're, they're making singles they can make them that big but when they get into making these bigger things that run at 33 and a third rpm and can get obviously classical orchestra pieces on them bands start to at first just fill albums up with multiple three minute singles which is what they've been doing and then then it changes they go hmm, maybe we could do a track that's six or nine minutes long how about the whole side at 25 minutes yeah go on and away it goes. And, of course, it, yeah, there was a period where it got sort of overly indulgent, and they're all mocked for it, you know, like prog sure. rock bands with three-hour guitar yeah, solos. Yes, and their early albums were <laughs> yeah. very long. It's very, it's very very long. And, you know, um, but there it was. It was driven, really, by them wanting to sort of do different stuff. And this is amazing things. And, of course, you're right. A mu music becomes ingrained in you. There's nothing you can do about it. It just does. I remember... Yeah. Um, David Bowie, I wasn't a massive fan, but there's a song by him, um, is it Space Odyssey, which is really rather a brilliant uh, melody, the yep. whole thing. From Ziggy Stardust and the yeah. Spiders from Mars album. That's right. Okay, so my dad um, was old school in every single way. I loved him to bits, right? Didn't care for modern music at all. That's putting it mildly, right? I was on the receiving end of his <laughs> withering criticisms regularly, and rightly so. Oh, Dad, you're so square. You know, we would mock him, but he was great. He took it all in. It took it all in good humour. He really did. But he, he, in spite of himself, he ended up loving that song because it's just you forget about the way that he dressed up and looked. I have to just throw that in there because that's I'm not interested in any of that. Sure, right? That's just old daft. But you actually listen to some of the songs he wrote, and you go, that's really good. That is actually – and you can tell. I mean, there's another artist who I don't like at all, Elvis Costello. I don't like Elvis Costello, but I can understand why some people have really got into him. Because lyrically, he's it's very advanced sort of lyrical structures that he uses, and he describes things in a particular way. But it never appealed to me because as a singer – I found, to me, he couldn't carry emotion when he sang. I don't get a sense of emotion when he's communicating at all, uh, when he's singing. But um, it's highly personal thing, music. I probably had more arguments over music than anything else. How about you? You ever got in stand-up rows? This is better than that. Oh, no, it yeah. Isn't. That kind of stuff when you're a teenager. It's hilarious, really. Yeah. You asked your friend, give me your top ten, and they're like, what do you mean, Stairway to Heaven's number two, you loser? Right? <laughs> And yeah. those kind it's of so things. so grown up in it. But like, uh, I, it is. Mission, uh, or 
um, Stardust from that album because uh, I was into him until he got into the 80s stuff. Then I was like, eh, not so much. But I really like that song too. And then I remember uh, the movie, right? The the Mission to Mars when uh, I don't remember who what what actor it was. But uh, he comes walking out and they play that song. And I'm just like, no, come on. <laughs> oh, it's, it's just, you know, it, it, you know, these great songs get integrated into Hollywood propaganda. And it's yeah. just like, oh, my goodness, great. Or whatever movie it was. But um, yeah, it, it is a very beautiful song. Great guitar. And th- like, that's a song with emotion and passion. That's what music should be about. And I was never an Elvis Costello guy either, by the way. No, oh, good. I'm glad. I, I had a guy got really cross with me, yeah. with me about that. He's brilliant. He's absolutely fantastic. I'm going... Sorry, mate. I've listened to it. There's just nothing happens in my body. Nothing. There's nothing going on at all. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing happens. I don't want to do anything. I just want it to stop. Really. I don't hate it. I'm just indifferent yep. to it. It never kind of got me. Uh, and every time when he when he tried to probably upsetting lots of Elvis Costello fans. Not that there are too many tuning in here. But, <laughs> right. Uh, you foul. I'm not listening ever ever more. Paul, it's just outrageous that you have a go at Elvis Costello. So now, whenever he's been interviewed, he's actually a really nice guy and everything, but I just didn't really care for his music. And you can't win them all, can you? It doesn't matter. You know, a lot of people liked it, so no. there we go. What you know, what's he got to do with me? But I just chose not to sort of listen to that too much. And um, but like yeah, it's uh, it's a major major thing, and it's a bit like certain smells as well. Olfactory memory is that what it is? Certain smells. Holy moly. I, I can smell, I mean, I can't, I'm trying to think of one. All right, the big one over here was patchouli, this sort of oil that people used to put in their denim jackets in the 70s at rock concerts, right? If I smell that on someone, I'm back at Nebworth in 1979 watching Led Zeppelin because the whole crowd just stank of it. Right? I'm going, what is that revolting smell? <laughs> Oh, it's the toilet, mate. You're about to fall in it, they said. Oh, no, yeah. I went, yeah. Because uh, that was quite a thing. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, yeah, good days. Really good. I can't talk about them too much. So you actually bit... got to see Led Zeppelin live? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was... Um, wow. Uh, yeah, it was quite a thing because it was 1979 and they hadn't played in England for four years. And I'd grown up listening to them when they'd never played. Actually, they played at Earl's Court in 1975, but I was only 15 and my yep. parents wouldn't let me go down for that. Um, and so we'd been listening to them since I was about 12 or something. And it was just an obsession, really. <laughs> I'd barely listened to anything else. I didn't need to. I mean, people were buying lots of other stuff, but yeah, we'd waited for years, really. Because if, if you go from the age of 15 to 19, those four years are immense, Boy, they lasted a long yeah, time. Especially in music, yeah. Holy moly, For yeah. Sure. And then pu- punk came along, and I absolutely hated punk. I just went, no. And I was reading all this trash, all this stuff in the rock press over here, NME and Sounds, they were bigging all these bands up. Somebody took me, dragged me along to go and see The Damned, and I left after 20 minutes. They were just crap. <laughs> they were unbelievably <laughs> useless. I couldn't hear anything. It was just all over amplified. They're just jumping around and going, no, next. I'm <laughs> just not interested. So we'd waited a long time, and then um, uh, they, they were going to play this gig after not August the 4th, I think it was. Look at that. And it went so well, they did another one on the 11th. We went to both. I, I, I just I just had an incident, because you know, the band ended about a year afterwards. But it, the problem with it was... Yeah, Bonham died in 80, right? It was, yeah. The problem with it was that it was so good that no other gig, and I knew it, the one we left, was ever going to come anywhere near it, and it never, ever did. <laughs> There was, no there, no there was just no. I just thought, 
you know, because the, the, the first one, there were nearly 200,000 people there, and we were pretty near the front. And when they came on, because <laughs> we recorded it all, I've actually got a tape. We, my mate strapped a cassette tape recorder to his head, right? And we recorded the whole thing. Then we transferred it to a reel-to-reel tape and cut it down. It actually sounded pretty good in parts. It wasn't too bad with this crappy little recording oh, that's thing. that's amazing. Yeah. When they came on, we were about 50 yards from the front, which was pretty near, 40, 30, 40 yards from the front. We look at the come on, this huge crowd behind us, and we're on this kind of slope. And as they came, everybody stood up. The people at the back got really angry, and there was just, it was like Agincourt with the arrows, except instead of arrows, it was beer cans. And there was just, the, it's almost oh, as if no. the, sky, the sky went dark with beer cans, just like whoosh. And then you just heard this ding, 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 as they're hitting people. <laughs> and there was one guy there called Pete who was doing the recording. And he goes, sit down, sit down, we're getting canned. Literally at that point on the recording, the can hit him on the head. And it made that ding. And I just went, wow, atmosphere or what? Yeah, so that was, that was just awesome. It was the first time I'd stayed awake a whole day and a half without sleep in my life. And because uh, we got there on the Friday night. And when we got there, all these fields were just full of, because the crowd was just everywhere. And everybody was lighting fires around these camp. It was like sort of a medieval thing. It was, a, it was magical. It was absolutely magical. It was very hot mm. and very dry. Uh, and my mate had fallen asleep, and a car started to drive over his head. He woke up, he said, i got this tyre in oh my Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I said, Dave, you all right? He said, yeah, he was laughing at it. He thought it was really quite funny. And um, and then there were all these other bands on during the day, and we're all just going, get out, you know, just no one was really bothered. I wasn't. I mean, I think Keith Richards was there with, and I'm not even, a, I'm not a fan of the Rolling Stones. They just, and... Um, no. And then we got this, yeah, got this concert for three hours. And it was mind It was just amazing because it was sort of like the culmination of listening to their albums for five, six years and never thinking we'd ever get to see them. And uh, then they turned up and they were there. And it was just, yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. You know, if, if you were to pick a day in your life and go, you want to have any couple back? Can I have that one back, please? I won't mind doing that again. It's so mm. vivid in my memory, even to this day, what happened there. And... Um, we just—it was an absolute blast. It really was, and it was so good. I said to my brother, "It was—I had to—he was four years younger." I said, "I'm going to go back again next week. Do you want a ticket?" He went, yes. So we went again, and just wow. did the whole thing again. So, um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful times. Yeah, great memories. I wasn't yeah, introduced they were. to them until '83, so they—they uh, they, they were complete. They were done for three years when I first found them. But when I heard their song for the first time, ran to the record store and bought them all up. Yeah, they're, they're just, it's just I don't know quite what to say about it because everybody talks about it. I'm only going to say the same sort of stuff, really. Um, right, uh, right, right. But it's just – and I listen to it now, today, and here's a really interesting thing. Although I've got the CDs around the house and stuff, no one in the house plays CDs anymore. Both my sons, no prompting from me. I didn't say anything about it. They listen to them all the time. They're going, why are they so good? I said, they're just – it's like a force yeah. of nature. Every single one of them, all four of them, are outstanding. And when they come together, it goes into a different gear. And they're so far ahead of everybody else, to me, even to this day. And uh, the wonderful thing as well was, it's amazing that this has come up, actually. They didn't have any advertising or promotion in the music press at all. None. In the UK, no. if you were into them, you were like, they were our band. It was like... 
we don't listen to disco and all this kind of stuff. We're not interested, right? We don't care about that. It was completely word of mouth and sitting around my mate's house eating ginger nuts and drinking coffee when I'm 14 and 15 and we couldn't get into the pub, just playing album after album after album. And it was, it was magic. And so that's the entire audio imprint of my life. You know, some people got George Formby and Bing Crosby. I got Led Zeppelin and I'm really rather pleased about that. I think I got very lucky, you know, so we were just growing up the same. We were a bit younger than them, but stunning talents. Yeah. Amazing stuff. Really. Indeed. And every, every album was a gift, had a little different tune to it. And they, like you said, <clears throat> they, they didn't put out 45s. They didn't put out singles like most bands did. It was, you'd go buy the album and man, what a, what a force it turned out to be. Yeah, it was quite a thing really. Should do a music show, shouldn't we really? But I'm a bit of a one track pun. I mean, the thing was that music was so big <clears throat> and huge that I ended up after that um, because a guy that came along with me was a guitar player and uh a really good one. I haven't heard him play in years. He's still playing up north. And uh, I ended up sort of joining the band with him, but we didn't play their stuff. I can't sing like that guy. I mean, it's just, you, you just got to forget that. <laughs> we can't do that. That's right. just, you know, I've not been playing instruments for 12 years. I, I just didn't know how to do it. So we, I got into bands like the Fabulous Thunderbirds from Texas. Don't know if you know about them. That wonderful Oh, band. yeah. Tough Enough. That was their big song. Yeah. And Jimmy Vaughan, who was an absolutely yeah. wonderful guitar player of completely different school to Jimmy yep. Page. Right. Totally different approach. Yep plays the guitar like trumpet solos, but I just love them. And we saw them play in Sheffield, which is a town up north, about 1981, Mm -hmm. 82. And uh, they hadn't advertised it right. There were 40 people turned up. I counted them, about 40, 45 people in this hall that could have taken about 500. They just played for two and a half hours. They were brilliant. And they were right in front of us. And my mate Andy was talking to Jimmy Vaughan all night. (laughs) about his tunics and stuff it was just great it's like sitting in with them you know and and um wonderful days really fantastic stuff so um every everybody music runs deep with everyone doesn't it it really does it really does it sure does well george we're coming kind of to the end of the official sort of clock here and uh, hey, listen to this you hear this nice well, That's guess who's awesome. the guitar player? Go on, have a guess. <laughs> Who do you think's playing the guitar on that? Is that... That's not Jimmy, is it? Yeah, that's Jimmy Page. <laughs> How about that? Which album? Oh, no album. I hunt these things down. <laughs> really? So now everybody that's knows awesome. that my outro music is uh, an outtake by them. It's fabulous. Lovely little ditty. So that's there great. we go. Wonderful. I've been talking to George, the Fact Hunter Hobbs. Uh, we've not done too much promo for your stuff, but if you go to thefacthunter.com, you can get all of George's work. Uh, we're going to be leaving WBN 324 in about 25 seconds or so and Speak Free Ready and all the other stations that are carrying this show. Uh, it's been wonderful having you on, George, and we're going to have to do it again sometime real soon, I think. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, and a big shout-out to Speak Free Radio and, of course, WBN 324 and uh, everything that you do, Paul. Thank you. You too, George. Great conversation. Wonderful. A lot of fun. I'll be back again next week, although there may be an after-show carrying on rumble.com. Okay, there usually, usually is. There we go. There's the song. And we're going to sign off now. See you all next week. And we're off air radio-wise, so... Um, that was uh, that was brilliant, George. What a good rambling little conversation that turned out to be. We went all over the shop with that, didn't we? 
Yeah, we were all, we were all over the place. I, I hope uh, I didn't take us too far off course, but I really really enjoyed that conversation. I you know sometimes we talk about all oh, this stuff; it can wear you down. It's nice just to talk about something different and like music and things like that. Sometimes I want to talk about all these things all the time because I think I think we need to take a light touch and and try and not forget that there are some wonderful wonderful things in life, and we must remind ourselves about yes, those things. Is. They really are. And, yep. you know, the, the the Tucker Carlson clip, when I said it was about beauty, to me, I mean, it's been a regular theme. I didn't comment on it too much. Uh, a good friend sent that to me yesterday. But what he's talking about there really is at the very heart of it. If you don't have a good foundational sort of sensible space in which your children can get raised up and do things properly, you end up in an absolute, everybody becomes demoralized. And that's really what we're li living through. And I think... I play music because it re-energizes me about life. I get enthusiastic about it. You sit, you go, there are some immensely talented people in this world, and they're sharing their music with me, and I'm moved by that. And music, of course, is probably the thing that moves more people more rapidly than just about any other art form, really. Yeah, and, and the talent it takes to do that, it's amazing. I'll watch or I'll listen to some 80s stuff like Gary Newman or something, then I'll come in. I have... I try to play music. I have a uh, Ashen Sound Machine. I have some keyboards I play. And, you know, it's like I can't even <laughs> uh, come one one millionth of the talent that these guys have. And it's just to be able to take, like you said, that's what I miss about the old school music. Now everything is electric and you go to GarageBand and you import your electronic drums. And uh, I mean, the music, there there is good music out there, but you got to look hard for it. But just people coming together and having different instruments come together and make music like the, the 70s is uncontested, one of the greatest eras, you know, the, the singer-songwriters. And I, I was wrestling with other songs. Should I play Gordon Lightfoot, the Edmund Fitzgerald, which is, a, mm -hmm. but it's like a seven-minute song. But, but it's a true story about something that happened on, I think it was Lake Superior, um, you know, they overloaded a ship and 29 souls were lost that day, like the, like the lyrics say. Um, just the singer-songwriter era of the 70s were just magic. And hearing Led Zeppelin for the first time, I, I can tell you what it was. Um, it, I was in ninth grade and I heard going to California and I was like, wow, what, what was that? And he's like, bro, that's Led Zeppelin, you dummy. And I literally <laughs> went and I bought all their stuff and I, I started from the front. I put Led Zeppelin one and the very first song was good times, bad times. And from there it became, uh, you know, that, that was it for quite some time. Yeah. Me too. Sad, isn't it? But it's brilliant as well. There were basically two bands we all listened to, uh, completely obvious during the 70s, which was Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd. They're, you know, almost like chalk yep. and cheese. They're brilliant in their own way. Both of them are kind of brilliant in a, in a very different sort of way. Um, and, um, sure. But it's just... Um, it's such a strong feeling because we didn't... <laughs> I know it sounds like I'm getting my violin out. I didn't have a lot of disposable cash really we didn't right just didn't have a lot of money no but we could always scrape together enough money to buy an album they cost about two quid back then which was a lot of money and he had to scrape yeah, it right. together yeah mm -hmm. and uh so this is and we would buy them and i remember my mates had bought all the other ones so i used to go around their house and listen to them and then uh physical graffiti came out in 1975 and i bought that was the first one i yep. bought it's a double album and everybody was kind of jealous they went What's that? And I'm going, oh, yeah, I had to get it. And they're going, well, can we borrow it? I'm going, no. <laughs> you can come around to my house and listen to it, though, because I've got to wear it out, you know. And um, 
that was that was just it's just a ridiculously I don't know I can't describe it you know they're just so it was so good and it's been such a part of my life and I'm not alone it's like yeah there's millions of people like you I'm going well I can't help it it's just good I love it you know and um they were, it's just astonishing and I interestingly on YouTube and place there are these channels now that have got tons of their outtakes and stuff I don't know where they've got them from um and many of you just hear there's some fantastic stuff um with John Paul Jones and John Bonham as rhythm sections you know on things like no quarter and stuff like six or seven minutes like outtakes that they're doing during a rehearsal wow. at LA in 1973 or something like that and you you go Wow, they could play anything. Jazz, the lot, it's got a jazzy feel to it. All these sorts of things. And yet, yeah, so wonderful days. Really very, very wonderful days. And you were talking there about uh, The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. That is such a hauntingly fantastic song. It's absolutely yeah, fantastic, it that song. It, it's wonderful. It's got real drama to it. And he it, he brings, it carries emotion, you see. That's what you look I, that's what I'm always looking for in a singer. If it carries emotion, it's got you. Because I don't want to analyse things in my head when I'm listening to music. I want to be transported to a different sort of emotional state. And some bands do it for right. certain people and, and other bands for others as well. we got someone here in the studio who's actually joined us, uh, George. Confusingly, really? he's also called Paul. Yeah, it's not me. I've not come in twice. Uh, it's another Paul. I think I know which Paul it might be, but who knows? We might be in for a surprise. Paul, welcome to the studio. I think so. Uh, yes, yes, there is yet another Paul in the house. <laughs> so, George, this is Paul B. This is Paul B who mixed, remixed those songs of yours down to 432. Oh, hertz. awesome. Thanks, Paul. It's called a B mix. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, you're welcome. I I would actually love to uh, do uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald, and I'm going to be working on that. Hey, maybe I can uh, pop it to you before the show ends. You could do. You're going to have to hang around in the studio because, uh, uh, and George, you could, you don't have to hang around if you've got a life. Uh, some people actually have a life outside of doing uh, podcasts and shows, so don't feel embarrassed about saying I've got to leg it because you know I've got to go and drink half a bottle of rum or whatever you've got to do. But uh, sometimes when this thing rolls on a bit, and I have to go off and do a little task here at home on the home front. But Paul's here holding the fort, so it's kind of good. He's become a shadow Paul. We're like two Pauls. It's it's all worked out really rather terribly, hasn't it, Paul? <laughs> he's he's like your stunt man. He fills or, in for you when you're not there. He's brilliant. He's absolutely brilliant, Paul. I love it that you turn up i think it's fantastic so it's really good the by the way the chat on rumble tonight was absolutely fizzing i couldn't keep up with it just running through uh it was blazing yeah uh, comment from jimmy page used to produce for gordon lightfoot's music uh really yeah someone's written a comment in here so fantastic that's good stuff see music runs so deep with all of us doesn't it it really is a very deep thing it's you get very sensitive and passionate about it and rightly so um you know what was um, we had dennis wise on here uh, and he'll be back dennis will be back and he picked uh, (laughs) I, i can't i still can't kind of get over this he picked um 
uh, Rocky Baby by Joel McRae, which is a disco song from about 1973. So we played it, right? I'm thinking, but you're Dennis Wise. Dennis, you're the guy, you're the guy that did Adolf Hitler, The Greatest Story Never Told. I love Dennis. It's right. fantastic. So I'm saying, I said, yeah. you know, it's a bit incongruous, Dennis. We're talking about Dresden and things, and now we're playing this. So why this song? But the backstory is brilliant. He was saying that. Uh, and I, if you hear this, Dennis, I love this as well. So uh, he was saying that... Um, He'd been slightly nervous around girls, or awkward, you know, in his early teens, as was I, right? In fact, I've still not lost it, ladies, <laughs> really, that kind of thing. And he started going to discos, and something must have happened to him where he gained confidence. He became, he became the John Travolta of the northern disco scene. I'm adding, I'm embellishing a lot there. And uh, that song, he said, was synonymous with him kind of gaining a kind of confidence and, and about things. So he associates it with a very positive sort of vibe about that time, which was wonderful, really. So getting the backstory to the song can, you know, it's, it's wonderful. I really like hearing these things. It's, it's great, you know. Um, and someone's yeah, was, written here. I was careful yeah, about what I chose because... Oh, no, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to. I, I, I didn't want to, because there's some songs that really invoke emotion uh, from me. Like, you know, there's songs that resonate with me landing from not, you know, from being in Iraq, not seeing my family for 15 months or mm -hmm. uh, or certain events in your life. There's always, uh, you know, something played at a funeral or something. So I didn't want to turn into a blubbering idiot on your podcast or on your radio show. So I, I tried to keep it something that, that you know. Well, you, you know, you're gonna be meaning, on, you, you'll be on again. So what, I don't know what you're going to do. You're going to have to get thinking yeah. already and you have to contact Paul and, and big it up. Listen, a couple of comments. Uh, actually, a little string from Cat7. Nice comments here, Cat7. I'm just going to read them out. Dennis Wise is amazing. I just rewatched his Adolf mm -hmm. documentary. He is last week. Wonderful. I said when Dennis was on, he deserved the no bull, N-O-B-U-L-L. -L. <laughs> the no bull. <laughs> Peace Prize for his video. Prize. I like that. You can come and work in the marketing department. That's actually that's EXO. That's awesome. I think that's good. And then Cat comes in. She yeah. says, or he says, made me cry again. Always when I watch it, it's over six hours long, and at one point the sad things are mm -hmm. overwhelming. They really are. Yeah, it was. You know, as Dennis when Dennis was on here, he was talking about this last tragic chance that uh, we were all manoeuvred into extinguishing. Uh, certainly here we were. There's, you know, I, I've got my hands up about that. Our people were, but yet again, they were deceived, just like we're being deceived now. And it's this kind of thing. It's easy to That's criticize right. people in the past, but I think we certainly should criticize p people like Churchill and Roosevelt and these people. We should really hammer them forever. There needs to be a sort of That's you right. know, a whacking post where they're on it and just go, you can abuse these people for eternity for what they've done to our nations absolute wretched wretched souls they really were you know yes, sir mm -hmm. yeah Com complete uh, idiots oh i've got a a, a little oh, comment here to, for you paul this is now i don't know it's kind of the name of it's in blue on a background i think it's reconciliation it says, tell Paul I sent the best copy of Edmund Fitzgerald to our twats music on Telegram. You know exactly what that means. And I'll just feed back to you that Paul has a big issue with Telegram, don't you, Paul? Because it breaks all your equipment and blows him up. But uh, there you go. It's, it it's, does. It's, it's waiting for you in Telegram. You know, if you could just be bothered to do something one of these days, Paul, that would be great. It it completely <laughs> okay. Maybe I can do it for another day. I did pull a flat copy out of uh, out of my music library, and I'm working on that. But 
and uh, Telegram made my computer crazy this morning just so I could get those server specs. Yeah. <laughs> it was not. It was it, this morning was not a good day. But is well, my audio sounding all right? You sound great. Yeah, fantastic. Everybody just sounds lovely. You all sound marvelous. And uh, George, I'm, as I said, George, okay. I'm so I'm so glad you threw me a boomerang right at the beginning because we did test the other day, didn't we? Didn't we test the other day and it worked great? Yeah, we sure, sure did. I, it, it, cool. I, I don't understand why, but there's always, like we said, we're at the mercy of technology. It's the imprint for this show. Yeah. <laughs> it's part of it. It's like an energy field at the start. I go, I've got, I got, I got everything right this week, and then you turned up and it's wrong. I'm going, no, the curse of the radio. You know, so it was there again. But no, it's brilliant. I've, uh, it's just really wonderful. Yeah, the thing is that the things you were talking about, I haven't talked about those things ever since COVID started, really. Um, the COVID thing kind of threw me a wobbler in the sense that I guess part of my internal modus operandi had been, right, we acquire this knowledge. I'm part of a group that are acquiring knowledge. I want to communicate this to people that are not aware of it because I feel it will rouse them up. I feel they need to know this stuff so that they can have a more fully informed picture and then we can start to make better decisions about what we do. I think it's important to know this stuff. So that was the kind of, you know, we must keep doing it. And I still believe in that as well. But the COVID thing kind of threw a massive spanner in the works in the sense that I, I realised, just like you were saying as well, George, during the show, that we are surrounded by people, huge numbers of people, who can't think. It's a, I mean, it's an incredibly sort of cocky thing to say, and I don't mean literally they can't think of anything, but in terms of constructive critical thought, their capacity for it is massively reduced, and their ability to comply with insane orders that are going to undermine the quality of their own life seem to be very high. And I got spooked by that. I, I can wade through the information, but when I was looking at people running around wearing masks and doing all this kind of stuff, I just thought, who am I actually living with here? If these people get out of order, what could any individual or small group to stop it? It's really rather a concern. And then you understand how crowds, of course, have been organized and mobs raised up to do all sorts of hellish things mm -hmm. in the past and have done it like literally it becomes mindless. It's, it hasn't got a ruling factor in it. People are swept along by these things, you know, and uh, like I was saying, you know, the, the French Revolution stuff, which I'll, I'll do more stuff on it as we go through. I've just been away from it for a few weeks here on the show, but it's absolutely not French. <laughs> it's not French. <laughs> no, and of course boy, not. They, had, they had to work Just like really the Spanish up. flu was. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, the, the Spanish flu wasn't Spanish or a flu either. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, uh, Edmund Fitzgerald. One thing is I do. Your Skype. Well, you, do you are you dying to have it played now? Are you? Do you think that we should do that? Is that what you're no, suggesting? No, I'm not dying to have it played now, but but it could kill a little bit of time while you're off. Um, well, it could. Actually, that's uh, a very good dudes. idea. But then I won't get to hear it. But then I've got a copy of it so I can hear it later. And then I can... And that's it. So, George, you're welcome to stay. And Paul will entertain you with card tricks and all sorts of other things. And I should also... A shout out to everybody in... Um, in Still on Rumble. Um, if you want to call into... Actually, no, you better not do it while I'm not here because I can't bring you in. Um, so no calling in whilst I'm away. Um, actually, that's not true. You could call in, but I can't let you in. That's it. So you could get into the studio, but you'll have to wait until I come back to actually allow you through the doors with these fabulous people. Um, so, okay, I'll go and grab that. You better say something whilst I'm grabbing it, something interesting. 
So I'll go and grab that for, from you uh, right now. Anybody, anybody that actually wanted to connect to the show could do so, uh, because I'm talk. I'm actually talking to you through the Radio Ranch Zoom and right. Studio C. Okay, so it'd be so good to, to let George know what you're C. up to. George, what what Paul does is he patches the show all over the place. It's good. <laughs> It's going, it's going to other hidden well, crowds of little hidden listeners, isn't it? Nice. I have, I have one computer over on the other side of the room, and yeah. I've got a back channel connecting Zoom with CleanFeed, so I can talk to you guys. But the front oh, end channel on that computer is grabbing the audio for the show on Rumble and sending it to a Spreaker channel and to a free conference call conference room. Same now there'll be a test on this later, George. I hope you programs. remembered all that because we've got to. <laughs> I'm got to writing it down. Slow down, Paul. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you imagine a man covered in wires and computers, that's a good picture, I think, of Paul. I think that's what's now, really Paul, going on. The reason that I. <laughs> The reason that I set this up was yeah. he was having trouble getting on the show earlier, and so I configured things so I could jump in and bring him onto the show via Zoom if he couldn't get in any other way. Yeah, I was I was heading. Paul, that's just absolutely that. fantastic. That's absolutely you know it's wonderful that you would think about doing something like that. I'm really knocked out. It's brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Um, yeah. Fab. Anyway, you didn't need it because George finally pressed the right button. Well done for pressing the right button, George. That was brilliant. (laughs) (laughs) I actually had to break out my other computer. I don't know what the heck's going on with my mixer. Oh, yeah. What's up with you guys? You've all got multiple computers to make things work. You see, over here in England, we just use one. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Come on, you can be insulting towards me. I I don't mind. It'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm ready to go uh-huh. back to the old school telephone. Give me my old rotary telephone. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, should we play a little fun. bit of Gordon Lightfoot? This is five minutes and 53 seconds. I won't mute you, oh, so you'll, you'll have to stay quiet whilst it's playing. I normally would mute you at this end, so unless you get carried away and start singing along with it, which, of course, is going to distress the people on Rumble no end, but it's up to you. I've got no control, so this is... Uh, uh, yeah, interesting. Sorry, I'm just getting distracted. So listen, okay, this is Gordon Lightfoot. Now, Gordon died recently, didn't he? Was it last year he died? Shuffled off this morning. Yeah, 22 or 23. Yeah, very recently. Yeah, and a talented guy. And this, I remember this from being a kid on the radio and everything in the 70s. It's just there's something hauntingly, it's haunting, and it's melancholy, and it's yep. true as well. So here we go, and then I'll um, I'll be back in a few minutes. Here we go. Legend lives on from the Chippewa on down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi. The lake, it is said, never gives up her dead when the skies of November turn gloomy. With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty. That good ship and true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. 
ship was the pride of the American side Coming back from some mill in Wisconsin As the big freighters go, it was bigger than most With a crew and good captain well seasoned Concluding some terms with a couple of steel firms When they left fully loaded for Cleveland Then later that night when the ship's bell rang Could it be the north wind they'd been feeling? The wind and the wires made a tattletale sound And the wave broke over the railing And every man knew as the captain did Was the witch of November come stealing? The dawn came late and the breakfast had to wait when the gales of November came slashing. When afternoon came, it was freezing rain in the face of a hurricane west wind. Saying, fellas, it's too rough to feed you At 7 p.m. a main hatchway gave in He said, fellas, it's been good to know you The captain wired in, he had water coming in And the good ship and crew was in peril And later that night when his lights went out of sight Came the wreck of the Edmund Does anyone know where the love of God goes When the waves turn the minutes to hours Searchers all say they'd have made Whitefish Bay if they'd put 15 more miles behind her. They might have split up or they might have capsized. They may have broke deep and took water. And all that remains is the faces and the names of the wives and the sons and the daughters. Lake Huron Rose Superior sings In the rooms of her ice water mansion Old Michigan steams like a young man's dreams The islands and bays are for sportsmen And farther below Lake Ontario Takes in what Lake Erie can send her The iron boats go as the mariners all the gales of November remembered
musty old hall in Detroit They prayed in the Maritime Sailors Cathedral The church bell chimed till it rang 29 times For each man on the Edmund Fitzgerald The legend lives on from the Chippewa Down of the big lake they call Gitchagumi Superior, they said, never gives up her dead when the gales of November come early. You know, I had an idea that song would be amazing in 432. Yeah, that it really makes a difference. What a good story. They don't make music like that anymore, do they? <laughs> no, I don't think they've made music like that for decades. And, uh, I um I was uh, collecting some music for my for my son who does uh, record ops and things like that, and he was doing a music show for a very very wide uh, age group audience so I was like picking like through the decades of the best music and by the time I got to the the 90s and the the 2020s and the 2010s I'm going where did this come from what what happened what happened <laughs> to music because because I had collected everything from the 20s all the way up to 2020 okay <laughs> so oh. I, I basically gave I uh, gave him a hundred years of music in in different decades, and it was it was absolutely heartbreaking. Some of the music that from only twenty years ago. I mean, what was it? What were they thinking? And again, I think like everything else. Uh education everything's been hijacked and i think music is one of those things that have been hijacked too <clears throat> they use it to, to to ruin our culture right it, it's cool to walk around with your pants around your your knees and j just the culture right it, that's it's been hijacked and it's meant to tear down culture and to to uh, get a certain reaction from people today and that's really what it is. I started noticing it probably in the mid '90s. It might have even been earlier than that, but it wasn't really as prevalent. But yeah, you, how you're, you're there was still very good music being made in the in the early to mid '90s. And then, but you just go one generation to I think two or three years ago that song from Cardi B called WAP, and I won't say what it stands for on the air. But I mean, that's just like one generation. How quickly it's been hijacked and. It, just the filth they play on they they play on the air today, and I remember my dad telling me like '80s music, what filth that was, and you you compare that to the stuff today, there's no comparison. Oh yeah, there there was nothing like the '70s and '80s, nothing like it. No, not at all. Um, it started going downhill in the '90s, like you said, but by yep. the time we hit 2000, it was garbage. <laughs> You know, we, we went from uh, the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald to tub thumping. Please. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> and that's what, yeah, the lyrics are just mindless. Uh, and, and well, some of the beats and music, whatever might be nice. The, the, the lyrics aren't like, they don't tell stories. I remember like um, uh, Paul English was talking about like 
you would buy albums and their entire stories you would listen to it from front to, to end uh, you know because they were themed oh, like every led zeppelin that. album say that again boston was famous for that like yes, third stage exactly you yep yep you would listen to the entire album front to end mm -hmm. i i have a 17 minute extended mix of cool the engines and it is absolutely oh, wow. amazing i'm gonna have to send it to paul and have him have him forward it on to you that's awesome what, what part of the states are you in if i can ask I'm in New York. I'm in upstate New York. <laughs> oh, okay. I lived in Watertown for three years, from 2001 to 2004. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful area, but it's it's just way too close yeah. to Canada. I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> there was a sign right outside of my house that said Canada, 30 miles. So uh, I think our summers were July and the first part of August. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. We had long dark winters. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I'm I'm moving to Georgia. So, I'm going to go from summers um between July and August to winters between uh December and February. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're going from know. one extreme to the other. I hope you're good with humidity because my goodness, that was one thing I don't miss about Texas that the heat is unbearable. I'm not sure Georgia heat is as bad as Texas heat, but you're definitely going from the uh from the refrigerator to the to the fryer. Yeah, it's, well, I'm actually going from the refrigerator from the deep freeze to the steam room, I think. <laughs> that might work. Yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> yeah, so um I mean, I've enjoyed New York, but it it's time to get out. It's just too liberal. I can't deal with this. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're lucky you're not in the city because We're, I don't know how people can even stand to be in the city. Well, I have no idea. They're, they're, they're stacked one on top of each other. What part of the country are you in? Yeah. So I'm due south of you uh, in Little Delaware. Um, we're, we're like... Uh, a three iron away from the Maryland line. We're like a mile away from the Maryland line. Uh, very rural area, you know, no, no stoplights, literally, <laughs> which is the way we like it, but close enough to, I can see my children and, and grandchildren and uh, my sisters and my mom. Well, that, that's wonderful. I am, um, I would guess four and a half hours away from Buffalo and five and a half hours away from New York city, pretty much due North, of um, Albany, you know, a oh, little bit okay, north gotcha, and east gotcha. of Syracuse. Yeah, so I'm I'm up in the actual Adirondack foothills. You know, the Adirondack Park is like five miles north of me, ten miles north. So you're in the Rome Utica area, right? Yeah, yeah, north okay. of there. Gotcha. So know exactly where you're at. Good stuff. I'm pretty much in the middle of the state. I I have a little bit of airspace between me and the snow effect, <laughs> or the lake effect <laughs> snow in Buffalo, and I'm just far enough away from New York City where I don't have to deal with the smell. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's insane. <laughs> I'm back, chaps. By that's... the way, <laughs> hey Paul. Hi. I, oh, you missed a great song. Thanks. That's great. I bet I did. Uh, <laughs> I've listened to it a lot, though, but not for quite a while. So I'm, uh, yeah, 
I'm looking forward to hearing it again. So I'll, we won't play it again. It would drive everybody potty. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think it's one of the, because we're carried by, the show goes out on WBN, we're kind of covered a bit for the music kind of stuff. And as I said, I think I mentioned it maybe to you, George, you can't pick, uh, as long you can pick anything as long as it's not new that they're making plenty of money off. No, there's right. no chance of that ever happening anyway. Because I, Yeah, uh, I, so I couldn't tell you a song from today. Uh, no, no, we don't, we don't bother with that stuff. It's all, you know, it's just sort of Autobot music. And uh, not you can't play anything by the Eagles, apparently. So it's not too much of a problem for me there either. Nope. But... Uh, there are some talented people out there, and we're trying to develop kind of a, I just call it a music desk, but something is needed, I feel, to, uh, well, this is a bit cocky, people are obviously doing it, but it would be great to have some kind of a funneling system for bringing good music into this space, and then giving the, the artists a shout out and pointing people sure. in their direction and doing stuff. Because radio and music are obviously, it's a match made in heaven, uh, hell, Absolutely. unfortunately, for most of the stations right now. But it should be a match made in heaven. Uh, and it has been in the past. It's wonderful sort of driver for things. And uh, I feel as though it sort of <coughs> augments, it adds to some of the messages we're trying to get across. And, uh, you know, it's easier. It's, you, you know, it's as if you're speaking to people in a convivial atmosphere at a bar where there's a good band on. and But it's not so loud that you can't talk through it and all that kind of stuff. And it just changes the tone of things and puts all of us in a better mood, I think, for receiving uh, pretty chunky information at times. So, sure. yeah, a lot of fun there. A lot of fun. Um, yeah, I'm just checking. Are you I looking at had, them? Sorry. No, I was going to say, Melia, uh, i got a few people in my chat room now. They really enjoyed the show. And uh, the, the one comment that Melia made was uh, the people uh, in your... Uh, chat room on rumble are, are very nice people which in this day and age hey can nice i jump people. in here guys if i may you you already have yes <laughs> <laughs> i'm only teasing you it's great that you've jumped in mr jumping in person hi welcome to the studio who is oh. that did I, I didn't scare him off did i <laughs> where is he <laughs> i don't know it's coming um, out of Somewhere. He couldn't possibly be in free conference call. He couldn't possibly be. I don't have a bi-directional connection to that. Hi, that's quite a delay. Um, I don't know if, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, we can hear yeah, you. We can, yeah, we can hear it's you. It's Dave. Dave in the thumb. Yeah. Hi, Dave. <laughs> Go ahead, I Dave. don't know. Hello. He's in free conference. I hear him fine. Wow, how how is he even getting through there? I don't yeah, have that I'm, channel I'm enjoying this, on. though. It's kind of surreal, isn't it? Voices coming out of nowhere. Um, I, I don't mind this. This is kind of interestingly yeah, I, odd. The delay is way off. I don't think it's going to work. Okay, Dave. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, apparently there is a wicked delay between free conference calls. So free conference... Oh, yeah, the wicked... Dude, you're coming That's from the like Rumble side. a minute side. and a half That's delay. Fine. Wow. <laughs> now I can hear you clear. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I'm i not going to be able to uh, share... I said that like five minutes ago. Until we drop <laughs> it's okay, Dave. Um, I'm Back not going to be able future. to share... 
I'm not going to be able to share um, the actual live studio feed with Free Conference until we drop Rumble. Once we drop Rumble, then I can, because what we're dealing with is the the, the delay between us and Rumble, and that's when he's hearing us. So, okay, never mind. I'm sorry. Too too much technical junk. Um, I did send a send a file up to the uh, A432 folder up in uh, Twats um, for George. So. Yeah, sorry about the terrible term twats, but there we go. We we don't forget it, right? So it's a <clears throat> there we go. <laughs> so I get to listen to massive delay stuff. You get to listen to Edmund Fitzgerald. Something's not gone right here for me. It's all gone a little bit pear shaped, hasn't it? Towards this part of the show. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it's okay. I'm only teasing a little. I don't mind. I'm not too upset. Only a little. <laughs> I'm fine. Um, okay. <laughs> Yeah, cool. Anyway, uh, what else? Uh, we could talk probably for another day or two if you like. Um, uh, I've got to say, George, that was just an absolute breeze to do that. It was fantastic. Really enjoyed myself there with you. Wonderful. I hope so. It's, Great. You're always easy to talk to, and I really enjoyed our conversation. And even you, you mentioned Dennis Wise a few times. I had him on when I was on Speak Free, and uh, what a just a, a – what a knowledgeable guy. What a very nice guy. And it, I laugh when you tell me that his song choice, uh, that is so interesting. Because uh, here's <laughs> a guy, great. you know. Right it's great. I laughed too. I said, what yeah. about all this? It's, it's wonderful. I can't remember the other song he picks. I preferred the other one. But it was just amazing. Because that was the sort of music we used to just run away from when we were kids. Oh, sure. Turn yeah. that off. It was just awful. <laughs> but but when he told the backstory, I went, oh, yeah, I remember. I was a little bit sense. awkward around girls and stuff and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Because they've got all the power when you're a teenager. It's bloody irritating, but they do. They've got it all, and they know it. And, of course, it's probably nature's way of sorting things out properly. So all pretty good, really. So, yeah. Um, um, oh, the other one was an Elvis song that he picked, which was fabulous, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. It was really good. It was a, uh, I forgot what it's called now, but uh, I just can't remember. No, I can't help forgetting. No, I can't, I can't forget to remember what yeah, it, well, was, it was. The title was like that. It was something like that, wasn't it? It was great. It was a live performance. It was brilliant. Really, really good. Hey, Paul. Yeah. Actually, uh, what I did was I switched us from Rumble over to the live feed. So they're just so free conference is now getting the live feed from your back office. Uh, Dave, did you have a question? Speed I, I up, really dude. had more of a statement. I thanks for letting me uh, do this, Paul and Paul and George. You know, you guys really um, kind of kicked me in the stomach with your uh, with your your show. Um, I got in late, and you were talking about Led Zeppelin, and you know, back I can't even remember the year, but my dead cousin, um, we were pretty close, but he lived kind of a couple hours from me, and he called me one day and he said, "Hey, I got tickets to the Zeppelin concert today. If I." hitchhike to your house can you get us a ride to the pontiac silverdome and i'm like well heck yeah so he hitchhiked it took several hours to get to my house we went to that concert and i'm telling you there was it, the pontiac silverdome holds seats that seated eighty thousand people but on the stadium floor another twenty thousand there was a hundred thousand plus people at that concert wow. and we were down on the main floor and we saw hundreds of people that, that I knew 
went to school with and stuff. And uh, anyway, it, what a memory that you guys brought back. But then you played that Edmund Fitzgerald. I'm in Michigan. And, oh, wow. you know, I grew up on the lakes. And right. I got a brother named Gordon, and my father's name is uh, Gerald Edmund. Wow. And, you know, that song, <laughs> I, I think... I think that ship went down on November 7th, 1975, and about a year later, on Halloween night, we had a friend that I went to school with, and there's a Lake St. Clair, right, and it's right in between Lake Huron and Lake Erie. You know, the, the Lake um, St. Clair River and, and Detroit River, it dumps that the St. Clair dumps into Lake St. Clair and then it dumps into the Detroit River, which goes into Erie. And I'm telling you, we were on that. My buddy had a, a, a private island that his parents leased, had a hundred year lease with a cottage on it. And we used to have these incredible parties. We had a Halloween masquerade party on that island. Uh, a year after, almost a year after that Fitzgerald, and we were taken, we had to go to a, a boat launch and pick people up in a rowboat, you know, with a little 25-horse motor in it, and <laughs> there was a brilliant full moon that night, and the weather was, it was like 80 degrees, highly unusual in Michigan, right, mm -hmm. um, Halloween night. And uh, we had this incredible party, and just the 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 we had a radio on that boat going back and forth, picking people up and bringing them to the island, and that song was playing, and it was very eerie out there on that lake with that full moon. And I got night blindness, and I'm legally blind now, but back then, you know, I was driving and all that, and but I had a hard time seeing the dark. But I'm telling you, I could see like a cat that night, and. I just felt like something eerie was going to happen because that song played, and it, and I and it, the connection, Gordon Lightfoot and my brother Gordon and the Edmund Fitzgerald, and my dad is Gerald Edmund. It just kind of was freaky, and you guys flooded all those memories back, um, you know, with with your show today, and I just got to thank you. Um, it was, as Paul loves to say, it was brilliant. So thank you very much. And well, uh, I'll so yield. Great. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, the, uh, you see, it just, music evokes very deep, harnessed memories, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. And, uh, and George, man, it's that it is takes what you, I do. Great job, man. <laughs> I and I'll tell you what, it's, <laughs> these times are, you know, these memories are more special because as the world, you know, over the last few years have gotten even a little more you know not as exciting <laughs> with all the things going on i think we hang on i think our memories become more special as we get older and go through these difficult times and uh music really does uh is one of those connections it's a song and then that song uh takes us to a memory a very special time or or like you said uh um with an event like that that you remember so vivid like you were telling that story and it was like i was watching a movie and it was because of that song and uh, invoked that in your mind. So thank you so much for sharing that with us. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. 
I'm getting choked up, man. You're welcome, and again, thank you. You know, I got to see Led Zeppelin before John uh, Bonham died at, at that concert, and then the very first concert at um, at that Pontiac Silverdome where the Detroit Lions played, when they built that, I was a kid, and the, the very first concert I got to go to, and it was The Who, and it was Keith Moon, you know, before he passed, and yeah, yeah. Uh, just some in i've wow <laughs> what uh, and again a hundred thousand people you know at those venues and that that uh the the who was really my first really big concert you know like that and wow what what memories so thank you again you guys are are freaking awesome i'll yield wonderful thank you it's great hearing these things. <laughs> wow. It really is. It's fantastic. It's absolutely fantastic. It made my day. <laughs> yeah. See, there's good things to live for, everyone. <laughs> there really are. And there now really I'm, I'm kicking myself for not choosing those songs. See, you got to listen to your gut. So I'll ask each one of you guys this question, if it's it's okay. It's not my radio show, but if, if I were to ask each one of you, which one song would you play from Led Zeppelin, which one would it be? Oh, that's terrible, because all I can think about is all the ones that I can't play, you see, because I'm like that. I'm a glass kind of half-empty sort of guy. <laughs> I don't know, because it changes. If you'd have asked me three years ago, it'd have been one thing and this, that, and the other, so yeah. I don't know. I mean, you could pick the obvious ones, but at the moment, the one that I keep listening to a lot is um, the live version of uh, Since I've Been Loving You. Oh. Um, which is ridiculous. It's so good. And I remember when we went to see the movie, because we went to see the film before. We had, the, the film came out in 1976, so we got to see the film. But that just, I just went, God, we've got to see them live. And the film was great. It was a bit long, a bit overly long, I felt at the time. I was only 16 and get bored quickly or something. But, uh, uh, yeah, there was that from the from the. I, I like that a lot. There's so many things. I mean, I, I had somebody in the car a couple of years ago who was familiar with them, and I put on uh, the song Remains the Same, and he'd never heard it before. He knew of them. He said, what's this? I'm going, I said, oh, this is really good. I said, but it, it has to be played really loud. Yeah. I said, it's got to be played very loud, this one. I said, because you won't get the impact. It's not, you can't listen to it quietly. It's just too delicate. And it's just, the way that song built, I mean, you just listen to all these songs, they kind of, you go... Wow, I did. I just you know, go, that's just awesome. It's just awesome. It's so exciting. It's just ridiculously exciting stuff. And so, I don't know. But since I've been loving you today, now that you're asking me, George, what would you pick? You know what? It's it's the same. You could ask me today, tomorrow it would change. But it's something that's, as I got older, the Rain song is just such a beautiful song. Yes, it is. It oh is. my goodness! And and the live version too, where him and Jimmy are playing. I think it was maybe in the mid '90s. Uh, just that song is so good. But that's my answer today. It would be different tomorrow, probably. <laughs> Paul, might, you might not even be a Led a, a, a Led Zeppelin listener, Paul. Who me? Yeah, of I, I don't am. know. Are you? I don't know. Some people I don't. don't, know. You I know. don't. It's okay. I'm just going to have to fall back on the old standby. I just love just sitting back, chilling to Stairway to Heaven. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't mean to, to be cliche or whatever. It's a good <laughs> song. Just, uh, it's a great song. Can I, can I have a vote? 
Yes, sir. Sorry to keep jumping in here, but <laughs> well, first of all, we've know, got to have, we've got to have a vote first about whether you can have a vote. So <laughs> no, I'm only teasing you. Of course, you can have a vote. If anybody else wants to vote, because we love democracy, vote ha- vote Paul, harder. Paul Come on. Pick mine because the the song I remember the most at that concert I was at was Stairway to Heaven, and particularly Jimmy Page's solo. Um, where they had this triangle light show around him. And I got to tell you, you know, it, it was like in 1978 or nine or something. And we were, we were tripping and, uh, man, I'll tell you what, we were about 20 feet from, from that stage. And wow, I'll tell you what, that was an incredible, uh, that event right there, that song, that solo, that light show. Blew me away. Anyway, I yield. Thank you. (laughs) Great song. Yeah. Wow. All that music stuff. It's great. When when we, uh, uh, I I think I mentioned the toilets right (laughs) at Nebworth in 1979. I'm just gonna. I've got to provide some darkness before we go back into the light. Right. They were just. That was incredible i didn't know you could actually do anything you could have a have a facility like that literally if you went near the edge it was just basically a very large square hole uh, about 20 feet by 20 feet square wow. 10 feet deep and yet if you needed to go you you, you had to hold your mate's hand <laughs> otherwise you were gonna go in there in. Uh, yeah and it was like Wow, that's not so clever. Anyway, so that was the great challenge there with that. But when we, uh, certain bits that I just remember from that thing, and this is another cliche because there's no getting away from it, but when they did Cashmere, it doesn't come across, I mean, there is film footage of it. They had a very large disco ball, literally, like, you know, those balls, those big glittering balls um, that you had discos. It was huge above the stadium. And, and, of course, you think it's going to be a bit naff, but when they played it, it's just radiated tons of light into the audience. And it was it, that song, of course, is absolutely hypnotic. It does something. It's completely... You just get totally locked into it. It's one of the most amazing riffs ever put down, and uh, that was probably the high point of the concert, I think, was that at that time. It just went on and on and on and on and on, and nobody wanted it to end either. You could play it all day, if it, as far as we were concerned. So, yeah, quite a thing. Wonderful times. Yeah, Cashmere is well, another favorite of mine. Yeah. yeah that's sure. a good song for today, but the message all will be revealed. And there's actually yeah. a couple of versions of that. There's one like an Indian version I really like. Oh, yeah, that's with the crazy. Indian Orchestra. That's fabulous. Yeah, yeah Absolutely yeah, fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yep. Uh-huh. And also, I used to really love In Through the Outdoor. It was kind of very different for Zeppelin. I really remember enjoying it that era when that came out. Yeah. Carousel Lumber is a great song. I always really like yeah, that Yeah, that song. whole album was pretty good. I cannot actually remember yeah. the songs. I'll listen to it maybe later. Yeah, um, listen to that and all of a sudden Hot Dog comes those on. Those old songs are, you know, need a new life. Yep. What 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 was music? I, don't mix up music with the stuff that's out there now, okay? No. It's <laughs> great hitting this age, isn't it, and sounding just like your parents did. But in a, <laughs> in a totally different way, isn't it? It's totally, yeah. it is different. You know, it's it's massively different. Something happened from mid fifties onwards. You know, with the changing of the beat, it it just changed. It became a kind of more aggressive, punchy sort of thing. And 
Then it all took off in the 60s. Everybody sort of experiment with all sorts of stuff. People say the 60s was better, but I can't help but think that the 70s was. Because although there's a lot of music produced in the 60s, it's not all good. <laughs> you have to go, oh, I wouldn't listen to that. To me, it's not. I just go, oh, no. <laughs> Some of it's incredibly toe-curlingly embarrassing. <laughs> Some of it. But then there was, you know, there's great stuff produced all the time, isn't there? There really is. Yeah, and there's music that uh, you know, I, must, I, I'd like, I, I'd like no, back in the day that it doesn't hold up anymore. But Zeppelin holds up through the, just it's just as good today as it was back uh, forty years ago. Yeah, it is. Well, that's where the transition was. I'll take all, I'll share a couple of things. I've been have a couple of great experiences at concerts. I've been backstage at, at the Jones Beach Theater, which you go on the ground. I've been backstage at the Guard. I was like practically in that guy's bass drum for the scorpions but i saw don henley three times over a couple of years it was the same tour whatever the name of the tour of summer whatever boys of summer and at jones beach theater the first time i saw him he had a full uh horn section uh, percussion section and then i was there about two three years later same tour because the deal is i always used to go to concerts local it's supply and demand if there's someone playing five nights, you go the first night, you get in for free at 10 bucks. And you go to last night, it's 900 bucks for a ticket. So I've always gone to all the shows. And out of the whole season, maybe two shows I wouldn't get into, like Cher or something. So that was just how I taught myself how to do music one way. So then the Don Henley tour, the next time, it sounded just like the CD. And I'm pointing out to everyone in the audience, Look, there's no horn player. You hear the horn? Look, look. Everything was sampled. I was so disappointed. I was like, look at that. Three years this went from a great show to look at this. They're pushing a button and people paying for a live show. And and it just got worse ever since then. So uh, it's all digital. It's not, it's not music. It's not live. So I yield. It's true. Do you want to listen to a bit of drumming? This is one minute and 19 seconds um. long. Okay, here we go. Sure. It's full in the rain sample. And I thought this would make a good sort of news type background looping track. It has to be quiet, something like that. Drumming, it's a thing, isn't it? But uh, I've got all these sort of little outtake tracks all littered all over the place, and that's, uh, yeah. That's, uh, that sounds like John Bonham playing Fool in the Rain, like a sample it, it's, uh, it's called John Bonham's Special Halftime Shuffle Groove. That's what it huh. is, yeah. His really son good. Jason kicks some butt on the drums, too. He does. Yeah, he, he does. puts out some good stuff. Yeah, sure does. Yeah, he, he impresses me. He does. Well, there you go. Actually, you know, someone wrote in, um, uh, when we when I first started this, I'd mentioned something about it, and I, can't, I, I hope they caught this, <laughs> because they said, would you talk some more about 
that thing. And, of course, it just came up tonight quite naturally. wasn't intending to go there necessarily. But, yeah, I guess... Um, I guess we just... You just look back on it and think, well, that's what we got. We're kind of fortunate, really. But I suppose yeah. other generations got brilliant stuff as well, and they love it just as much. You know, you just get what you get when you arrive, don't you? But I feel kind of... Um, Kind of blessed in a way that we got to do all that. Of course, it's the devil's music, but I never even felt that way about it. I just went, wow, <laughs> I'm gone. So, um, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. I think I've drunk more cups of coffee listening to Presence than ever. We used to, on a Saturday afternoons at my mate's house, he had a cellar. He had a table tennis table down there. This is 1976. And he bought that, and we just wore it out playing table tennis on Saturday afternoons and drinking coffee. Uh, just over and over and over and over again. So, yeah, amazing stuff. Oh, yeah. there was more than the, just Achilles. There were other bands. So good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Achilles' last stand is what ten minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's just. I think the live version at Nebworth, the drumming on that. You just watch what he's doing. You just go, wow. It's. I mean, it's a galloping song as well. It's like a, it's like an army, a horse, an army of horses of cavalry galloping. That whole thing. It's just punching, moving and moving and moving. It's quite a sort of narrow vocal range song as well. It's not sort of a soaring thing. It's but it, boy, it's like a hammer kick all the way through it. Brilliant. Anyway, I don't know what else. Oh, I'll tell you what I thought. I'm gonna. We, we have to move on. But my last little comment about them as a band, the thing that still blows my mind, of all the stuff they did on the first album, when Robert Plant's 19, I think, or 20. You see, you forget this. You go. That was a bit when we. Heard, I'm going. Oh my god, they're only a little bit older than I am. This is ridiculous, right? I didn't know what to do with that. Um, is Babe, I'm gonna leave you on the first yeah. album. That is one of the most hauntingly melancholic, beautiful, autumnal songs ever. I came across a version of it by Joan Baez, which is wonderful, sung in a totally different lilt, but you can, it's the same song. Um, but, there's, but the Zeppelin version is just unbelievable. It's a masterpiece, is that song, when you listen to it. And, of course, yeah, everybody goes, oh, they're just a heavy band. I'm going, no, they're not. Listen to this. It's no. got everything. They've got everything. Yeah, they can do heavy, you know, all this kind of stuff. and Because um, it's, it's emotionally heavy. And that one... I'm just thinking, how do you put that together when you're 20 and 22 and 23? I mean, That's... you know, it's it's ridiculous. I just go, wow, how amazing. The sort of capacity for the sheer range of the music. You know, it's quite a thing. It really is. It's quite a thing. So they're not necessarily alone in that regard, but they're certainly right at the top when it comes to that sort of stuff. So that was it. So uh, anybody want to talk about Smedley Butler now or... <laughs> <laughs> well, keyword is music. There, the keyword is is music. It you is know? like we had bands like Sticks, you know, uh, Foreigner. We, we there was just one after another. Just we really had powerful, real stuff. I mean, yeah. we don't get stuff like that. No, we do not. Them no, they've kind of they've you know they've. It's become a part of the profit-making enterprises of the world, and it's useless because of it. But like I was saying, I that mean, there are tramp. Yeah, 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 there was. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm I not mean, a massive fan of Super Tramp, but you listen to their melodies and you go, "Ooh, that's really." You can see they've all been sort of classically trained in chord progressions and all these things. You can't, why does this sound better than that? Well, because it's thought through. They know how you yeah. to move your emotions through a song. I mean, it's just wonderful stuff. Um, 
So somebody was mentioned, maybe I mentioned it in the show, but and we're talking about this sort of music desk just as an idea. But uh, Malefica Scott sent me a link to a woman called Kerri-Ann, C-E-R-I-A-N, on, on Kick, was it? Or I think it was on Kick. Or what's the other one? Twitch. Sorry, it was on Twitch. It's not a streaming platform I use yet, of course. We all want to get on there, don't we? I mean, maybe we do. Um, anyway, she does a live gig once or twice a week from her flat somewhere in London. And he said, go watch this. And she's got a keyboard. She's got a sort of headset microphone on. She plays three instruments, keyboards. I can't remember what the other two are. She just plays keyboard in this thing. I went, oh, wow. It just restored my faith in talented musicians. She was brilliant. It was fantastic. And I just went, oh, these people are not going to get record deals because the record industry doesn't want us to listen to this stuff because this is the stuff that binds us back together as a people. They don't want that. So we're going to have to do it. And the answer to all of our problems is us. It's no, it's no one else. No one else is going to do this. It's absolutely us. And, you know, you were talking, George, there about farming and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I know nothing about this. I've got a large garden. It needs to be producing food. But I actually need a 48-hour day to do all the things I'd like to get done. I can't do it. So it's like, okay, I've got to organize in teams. We, maybe there's someone in my local area who really knows how to make a garden grow loads of cabbages or whatever we need to grow. I need to get to know that guy or that gal. That's right. And that's what we've got. To, it's the connection point. The communication is absolutely key. And to get people to sort of pull into the fold and get doing these things. So, um, But, yeah, the music is key. Plato knew it was key. It's massively yeah. powerful stuff. It's so powerful. And uh, if we're denied what we need to nourish our, sh- our souls, we get demoralized. We do. We need beauty. We absolutely do. And as I said, I think most people experience it and feel it in such an intense way through music more than anything else. Although music with a good painting is a mind-blowing combination at times. It can be really quite a thing. So, <laughs> so everybody's really been quite into this. So yeah. look, um, we could go on forever. We don't need to. I think we've, we've overrun by an hour, which is the usual thing here. So we're down to a sort of three-hour slot. I think... I think it's probably time to sort of draw this to a close. If yeah. you're in agreement, gentlemen, I think we could probably bring this. I know we could talk all night, but I think we, we should probably bring it to a close. So yeah, I think um, I saw the Mrs. Popper head in, and I think uh, dinner's ready. Oh, you've timed it really well. That's fantastic. I'm going to have to go into the house and open a bottle of port because it's uh, it's 11 o'clock at night here, so I've got to get a port or some brandy, a large cigar, and uh, I don't have any of those things, by the way. And, uh, and finish, <laughs> put on my smoking jacket and ponce around in the house. So, um, fantastic. Uh-huh. Look, uh, George, it's been wonderful having you on. Uh, the return ticket is open all the time for you. So you please, please let's stay in touch. It was a massive gap talking to you. But I've really just enjoyed the informal, loose, cheerful nature of the conversation. It's been fabulous. Um, and we can talk about anything we like. Uh, I don't really mind because I just think it's all important. It all dovetails into everything else. Uh, Paul, thank you very much, as always, for organizing the connections in the background. The naughty connections are wonderful, but mostly, of course, the B-mixes and everything. So... <laughs> Brilliant with the with the music. And to everybody who's been in Rumble, I mean, that really has been a buzzing chat. I was just absolutely plowing through. I can't remember seeing so many messages. Fantastic. I'm sorry I didn't read too many out. Um, but thank you for the links. And obviously, we've kind of struck a chord, pun intended, by talking about the music so much. So, wonderful. Any last words, George, before you go and 
eat whatever it is that's going to be out on the plate for you. And what are you having for <laughs> no, supper? Just, what are you having for supper? I want to know what's what's I, coming up. I think she mentioned something about stuffed cabbage rolls. Um, Ooh, with the interesting cabbage. We, yeah, very good. So, um, looking forward to that. But uh, it, it's always great to to chat with you, and I really look forward to doing this again. And to uh, is it Paul B? I think it was your name. Um, yep, that's me. It, it was it was really nice to meet you too, brother. And uh, Feel free that you can stop by my website to connect, or you can shoot me a, a an email or whatever. All the information is on my website. Uh, it was really nice meeting you. Thanks for all you do uh, for Paul and uh, Truth Radio. It was really nice to meet you and to everyone who's listening. Thanks for your time. And um, you know this was good. Like we 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 shouldn't talk about doom and gloom twenty four seven. It's good to take time and appreciate the things we do have in life and. Uh, you know, spend time with family and friends and music is one of those things that is nice to take the time to appreciate. And like we had uh, tonight, it really invokes emotions and memories uh, of family, friends. And, and um, I don't like to say better times because that's doom and gloom too, but, um, you know, special times in our life. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening. And Paul, uh, again, I can't thank you enough for the invite and I look forward to doing it again soon. Likewise. Brilliant. Paul B., any final words, Mr. Connection Genius? Um, well, actually, if we want to go out with the song and you wait about 35 seconds, a remaster recoded in A432 of Babe, I'm going to leave you from the official Led Zeppelin channel, will be in the A432 folder in uh, Telegram. So I, th I think we, we're going to have to wait for that now, aren't we? We're going to have to wait for that. I've got to watch what I say around you because you're instantly on it. And then... <coughs> it's a good, are you? It's How a nice good would it be to have a gold bar? <laughs> it's a good job I didn't say live version of Dazed and Confused at 27 minutes long. That would have put the spanner in the wrench. You mean, George would have never got his cabbage. It would be terrible. <laughs> it would have ruined everything. Well, people would have been asleep by the time we got back. <laughs> oh, they would. Bring, bring they it would on be. home would be a good finish, Paul. There you go. Oh, look, it's still, you see, everybody wants to request music. That was I like that one too. So maybe we're just going to have to do a music show once a week and then uh, just accept yep. that we can't publish it anywhere, and who cares? I don't care. I'm not interested anymore. Uh, I think we need it to break up the conversation. It absolutely works. It, there's no two ways. Yep. It really, really works. I think better with a little break and a bit of music every now and again. It's just more fun. It just really is. And the conversation works better. Paul, it'll about. be published in our brains. <laughs> there you go. Yes. It's published in our brains. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. Well, I'm waiting um, for the song, okay, Paul. There's nothing there. The next <laughs> I mean, what? what I'm, I'm, there's nothing here. I'm looking at Skype. It's just like I'm looking and I'm looking. What's going on? I'm teasing you. It's in okay. Telegram. It's in uh, Oh, Telegram. now you're showing off. <laughs> Now you're showing up. Now you're finally, now you're rubbing my nose. You've got Telegram working, and now I'm, oh, I see. It's like that, is it? Okay. Uh, I see it. Okay, fab. Here it FCC comes. FCC can't do 432 hertz? What's the deal? We can. Sorry. We can. This is a 432 show, so, yeah, it's really rather brilliant. Okay, I've got that. Let me just hoover it into the, um, into the front room. They removed the volume, too. Who removed the volume? We used to have a volume control. Oh, really? Um, oh, here we go. It's just on its way. Okay. 
Paul, thanks very much for doing this. So, are we going to? Someone's going to say some words after the end of it. This is six minutes and thirty-nine seconds long. We're very near to the end of the show. This is "Babe, I'm Going to Leave You" by Led Zeppelin from 1968, isn't it? Is it late '68 or early '69 yeah. when the album came out? I can't remember. '69, I think. They formed in '68. This is a magnificent acoustic. Ah, it's just brilliant. Here we go. Oh, except, you know what I really need to do? Because I'd been fiddling around with things. Talk about mucking it up. I need to turn the volume up. That helps, doesn't it? You can't hear a thing without the volume. Here we go.
going from this place Indeed. And on that note, audience, we're going to leave you for this week only. Back here again next Thursday with what's turning into the kind of crew. That's just me and you, Paul, or you and me. I just said that to make it rhyme. And uh, <clears throat> many thanks to George. He's going to legged it for his cabbage, and why not? Uh, you can't get between a man and his cabbage. It's not it's not good. Um, some other offerings in from Murr, uh, Peer Gint and stuff like this. Excellent stuff. We'll feature those in some upcoming shows. I like some of those classical, tremendous things. In fact, I like anything that's good, basically. So thanks very much for being with us for three hours and 15 minutes, it says here on Rumble, which is uh, really good. So a typical sort of one-hour post-broadcast show. Um, it's been fantastic. A really absolute breeze. Easy peasy. I need all shows to be 
as good as that, including George's little technical boomerang that he threw me there right at the beginning. Any last words, Paul, as a, before I sign off? Uh, nope, that's it. It's been great. It's been fun. I really enjoyed the program. Me too. Fantastic. Thanks for all your help, as always. Uh, lots of uh, uh, thanks to everybody out on Global Voice Network, connected there, courtesy of Paul and everywhere else where you've heard the show. And we'll be back again 3 p.m. Eastern next Thursday, 8 p.m. in the UK on WBN324.zil. Bye for now, everyone. God bless and have a cracking week.